This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. By the way, Election Day. Today is the day. Get out to the polls. Get uh, get your vote in. And um, hopefully you'll exercise a little agency. Somebody will replace Jason Chaffetz. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe possibly the Mayor Curtis of, is it Provo? Provo, Provo mm-hmm. Mayor Curtis. That's in uh, the Utah, one of the Utah congressional districts. Um, the governor of Virginia is up for play as well. That is a supposedly a really, um, I don't know, I guess a, a, a bellwether state. Is that what they're calling it? A bellwether election? Because that'll see how people feel about Donald Trump. It's a big, it's a big election there. New Jersey's looking to to go after or get a new governor. New Jersey, New Jersey, um, mayor of New York City is on the line. A lot of elections around the country, but make sure you get in there today and uh, and cast your cast your vote. Will you be voting? I've already voted. <gasps> yeah, really? Yeah. Can you hear Terry's here? Terry showed yeah, up. The clanking and clankety clank. He's got to unpack his <laughs> lunch. He's opening a can of uh, anchovies. Nice Lunchables, by the mm. way. He, I love the little Reese's peanut butter cup that comes with those. Oh, aren't those great? Yeah. It, it, you know, the great thing about elections now is you just you can mail it in. So I voted about a month ago, it feels like. Hmm. So great. Is that different from phoning it in? Yeah, phoning it in doesn't work. Really? When somebody runs for office and they phone it in, does they, it work? No, they, no, it doesn't. They need to be back there more. That's why Jason Chaffetz is quitting. Maybe they should try mailing it in. He's tired of living in a cot. He quit months ago. Yeah. That's why he's – well, he's still quitting. I think you fully finished he the needs, process of no, quitting. He has nothing quitting. to do. He's still on Fox quit News. Left. Well, I mean he's doing that because – No, that's what I'm talking about. Do you think he'll be out of office for a while and realize maybe he doesn't want to spend as much time with his family and try to get back in? No way. <laughs> Families are awesome. No, well, I, I think well, so, too. If you think about it, his family lives in the west side of the country, and he's on the east side of the country. So what is he doing? Not being with his family like he said he was going to be. <clears throat> Liar! For now. Eventually, once he's the main anchor at Fox News. No, he's going to run for office again because he doesn't really want to spend time with his family. Oh, that is such a dirt. What that, he's going to do? I told you. You can't say Terry's that. Terry's on the same page. He, That's what he's doing. He want, of course he wants to spend time with his family. Well, he also said he can't look at his daughters in the face and then went against that too, so... But it takes time to transition. Well, that, I think like that's a like I think that's a nearsightedness problem that he has. That oh, he can't guys. look them in the face. Just saying, there's a track record here. No, you got, hey. By the way, the U.S. Air Force blew it. Blew it. And uh, the military failed to report the gunman. The gunman that went and shot uh, twenty or killed twenty six people in Texas had uh, already been charged, I guess, by the Air Force with a domestic, and you can't uh, go get a gun if you have a domestic violence charge. Mm. And, but it's got to be reported, or none of this reporting works, right? So we have laws on the books, but the laws have to be obeyed for safety to, uh, to exist. But again, uh, complicated issue. 
complicated issue. So the tragedy, at least we're understanding a little bit more what happened in Texas. More and more hero stories coming out of there as well, as well as just more of the human side of the uh, the entire equation. So we'll get to all of that. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? The Texas shooter suffered three gunshot wounds, according to an official with the Texas Department of Public Safety. Two of the wounds were inflicted by a bystander, one by the shooter himself. The self-inflicted wound was fatal. First Baptist Church neighbor Stephen Williford said he heard the commotion next door where the uh, 26 people were died, 20 were injured. Wilford confronted the shooter and the two exchanged fire. Wilford and another man chased the shooter in a vehicle who apparently killed himself in the car several miles away. So that's how the whole thing mm. went down, I guess. Crazy. They're trying to figure out why he did it. They know why he, where he got the guns. The Air Force is figuring out. Their Air Force is showing they, they said they dropped the ball and didn't get the information. Now they're going they're going back to go through all their records to make Find sure there's nobody happened. else out there oh, boy. that they've dropped the ball and let somebody else slip through the system. That's a good idea. Also, so. mm. uh, a landscaping dispute with a neighbor led to the physical altercation and broken ribs of Senator Ron, uh, Rand Paul last week. Neighbors told the New York Times that Paul and a neighbor, Renee Boucher, had uh, disagreed over lawn clippings. Oh, boy. Or uh, Paul's composting habits, either way. Paul was reportedly stepping off a riding lawnmower when the neighbor tackled him Friday. Paul had been wearing earmuffs and did not hear the neighbor approach. Uh, the lawyer for the neighbor said Monday that the dispute between the two men was over a matter that most people would regard as trivial. Paul suffered five root fractures from the incident. His office uh, said... Let's see. The neighbor's attorney added that the alleged assault had absolutely nothing to do with either with either's politics or political agendas. Uh, Jeremy Hodges, a spokesperson for the Kentucky State Police, said prosecutors are considering upgrading the charge to fourth degree assault. Mm. Uh, there has to, you know, there's some uh, factor of the, he's a senator and you attack mm-hmm. him. There's some, you know, legalities that go with that. The the lawyer for the neighbors trying to downplay it is that they're neighbors. This has nothing to do with him We're being a just, senator. Yeah. It's just two neighbors, well, this, long that, Even a better lesson for the rest of us. So he wasn't attacking a senator. He was attacking a neighbor. Yeah, that's what they're trying to... <laughs> look Look at the point of view of the neighbor. That's like, a, well... Okay, you just don't attack your neighbor over... I mean, that's just... He came up from behind him and tackled him. Yeah, when he's wearing ear protection because he was riding a lawnmower. So, whatever. It, wow. it's, it's a dumb neighbor dispute that turned into something I wonder if more. it's on YouTube. Because no, it would probably be, not. Well, crazy neighbor stories, right? It, that would it, be a really big YouTube hit. It'd be great if it was. Well, um, sadly. Well, no, it'd be great for me because I could watch something ridiculous. Yeah. There you go. A powerful storm, at least nine confirmed tornadoes tore roofs off factories, ripped away storefronts, destroyed homes across Indiana, Ohio, and into Pennsylvania, the AP reports. Scuba divers found the bodies of two men inside a home's flooded basement. They were... Seeking shelter Sunday during the tornado in Erie, Pennsylvania. Six people hurt, though none seriously, at a restaurant in western uh, western Ohio city of Salina in Sunday when the tornado touched down. The National Weather Service said Monday at least six tornadoes hit that region. And it began in Indiana, hopped along nearly 40 miles of highway before crossing into Ohio and then ended up in Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah, so it traveled quite a ways. Yeah. Uh, And finally. Yes. Disney is reportedly in talks to purchase 21st Century Fox, according to its slate, acquiring mm. its slate of original titles, rights to various franchises. That's all according to CNBC. What are some of the titles? <clears throat> the only one that matters is X-Men. I mean, there's other stuff. Do they now want Harry Potter? Oh, Harry, or that's Warner, is that Warner Brothers, yeah, that's, I think? that's yeah. Warner Brothers. So, I mean, there's, 
There's other things. Uh, this also has to do with Disney uh, looking to pull their content off of Netflix in 2019. And if they combine that with uh, 21st Century Fox's slate of programs, they could have a very robust online offering. Ooh, they just want their talking. hand in everything. But Who doesn't? Really, the important part is for Disney to reunite Marvel with the X-Men so that D- Marvel could fix the X-Men, make an X-Men movie that's good instead of what Fox keeps trying to do, which... Were they connected? Uh, I liked quite a few of those X-Men. Uh, Were X-Men originally connected to Marvel? They're a Marvel property. I did not know that. But way back in the day... They need day, to come back home. Fox, or uh, Marvel sold off the movie rights of X-Men and mutants and those types of things to Fox because they needed the money. And now Marvel, of course, is having a uh, ah, resurgence. They have all this money. Okay. They would like to get that property back. Yeah. And the problem is they can't, and they've had some... Uh, not funny. Now they've got to spend like 100 times the original purchase. They're going to get the TV production. They're going to get all this. Now, Fo- 21st Century Fox will keep Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Sports, all that stuff. But the television and movie production would go... Ah. So they just want the X-Men to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, that's what I want. Oh, that's what you I mean, want. there's other things involved Did here. you just say the Marvel Cinematic Universe? That's yes. what it's called. Didn't you know that? So Ridiculous. It, they're already combining all these movies anyway. Guardians of the name. Galaxy and all the, ev- yeah. the Avengers. It seems like everything's conspiring to this one moment in the future. When there will be a major throwdown, so they're they're not going to be happy. Everybody. They won't be happy until they have at least a hundred different characters going See, at it. And the, and the best part is they have already have a comic called um, what's it called X Men versus the Avengers. It was a whole comic arc. X V A twelve to fourteen Whoa. fourteen books. I have it at home if you'd like to reference. Now you that. know what I am and, so um, good. It's it's a great story. I think they could make it into a movie. And yes, you would have like one hundred characters on the screen. <sighs> really? Yeah. Why doesn't? Why don't you all just go back to Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> because <laughs> Wait, it's don't on say the... you all. Don't put me in that group. Yeah, I didn't play that either. So. Okay. Why don't you all go back to whatever you used to do? Before all the Marvel stuff. You don't have to watch it, Matt. No, but I have to hear about it. Well, you know, it's uh. it's something a lot of pe- I mean, Thor made $112 uh. million over I know, but Thor is kind of the exception. It's already made a hundred and something million over, you know, the globe. Is this Thor music? No. It's no. Just... It's generic superhero music. Yeah. It sounds super. Uh, I want to see Thor. That is one that I want to see. You'll have a good time. Although, you never tend to have a good time whenever I say you'll have a good time. Yeah. I think you do that more in Defiance, I think I will have a good time with this one. Hmm. Because it doesn't involve any... I think you just like spiting me. No, I don't. You've got a powerful spite. Oh, you've never seen my spite. You've got an overspite, actually. You need (laughs) to do do do. something about that. It gives me a headache, this overspite. Um, Yeah. I think it's better that maybe they don't get it then. Why? I just think it would be better for the universe if X-Men couldn't return to the rest of the Marvel comic freaks. When does somebody... Freaks? Come on. When does somebody more powerful than Disney, when do they step in and say, you know, you can't keep bullying people. You can't buy everything you can't well when people stop seeing their movies well you can't force movie theaters to show your movies for four weeks straight or we're gonna yeah they can 
No, that's, they sh- that's they, what they're doing. Who's gonna Who's gonna stand up to Disney? Nobody and say stop it. They, who, have, they have Star Wars. People want to watch that movie. It's going to take somebody even bigger than Disney. Apple. Oh, what? sorry. <laughs> they, they're not going to stand up to themselves. No. There's only one movie, well, franchise now, because I've done it multiple times, that I purchased tickets three months out. Star Wars. Yeah. And then come to find out your uh, employee party for Christmas is uh, giving giving you them for free. Sure. So then I get the opportunity either to see it twice. Lucky. Or because they're going to probably drop this movie in the middle of the uh, afternoon. Or give me your tickets. Make it difficult for me to get in, so I probably won't see it. I could see it twice, too, though, because I've got movie passes. There you go. Do you guys, I don't know, do you Do you ever just go home and yeah, see your family? absolutely. And... In fact, I see these movies with my family. Well, parts of it. There's parts that can't see the movie. So, so you really don't talk. Well, occasionally. They're in the same room. On the it's drive. Dark. On the drive to the theater. And I'm like, so you're looking forward to this? And she's like, nah, not really. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> can't wait to see it. I don't know why, but I feel really bad for your wife. No, she actually, this is, the, the Thor movie was one of the Marvel movies she stayed awake for the entire movie. That's a glowing endorsement right there. She is tired. You'll stay awake. She has two kids and an inattentive husband. Yeah. Yeah. So she's beaten. So by the time you get in, turn out the lights, get in a comfortable seat, she tends to pass out. But she didn't do that at she Thor. She away. thought it was an interesting and movie. And is it because it's so funny? Everyone yeah. talks about how funny it's it funny, is. It's funny. There's all kinds of stuff like, going on. Is it on. funny like, like the average person would get the funniness or is it like Thor funny? Like is he dropping, oh, my demogorg is broken. Now you're talking That's about Stranger, Stranger things. things. I know. I just I don't know what Thor is. No, and you didn't um, get the name right. Right. Okay. No, it was yeah. uh, just general humor. Okay. Stuff that you wouldn't understand. Like, boy, I just flew in from Chicago, and boy, right. are my arms tired. Well, not like that. That's that's not funny. Class- but- that's that's classical humor. There's things that's funny. Like they'll make a comment that's like you know overly superhero-y, and they'll be like, "How did that sound? Was that good? Should I try that oh. again?" So you know they they do sort of commentary, self commentary okay. type stuff. It's Go fun. for Jeff Goldblum. Stay for the post credit scenes. Really. Yeah. Or you can just leave. Well, that's just really a little care. movie update. I didn't know we were going to give a movie update in the very first segment, but that's great. Well, you cut your cord, right? You don't have – well, the doctor did that. But you don't have cable <laughs> at your home, right? I do still. So. You still do? We, none of us watch it. I have this weird fear of cutting it because when I – I thought time you I, cut it. You mm, told me okay. – No, I want to. Last time I cut it <laughs> uh, – we cut our phone service, oh, and the wrong I one. regret giving up our phone. Yeah, I did that once. Our home phone. I thought of the- really. I did. Yeah. Why on Be- earth would you? Because only I- telemarketers call your home phone. No. Yeah. I don't know no. where you've been working. My mom. You've been giving your number out, and your mom. My in-laws. No, but like, and, and you know, people from the neighborhood. But my kids didn't have a phone, so that then forced us to go get another phone for our family. What is the point of the home phone? Tell me. Explain. Uh, it's the same point the phone has had since the inception of the phone. Except why are you paying for an extra phone line? Because I have a 12-year-old that didn't have a phone. Just things in life. Are and he was always out. there so his buddies could call him and say, hey, come over. So we had to get – we got rid of that. Then we regretted it. It was a phone we had for 20-something years. Then we had to get my son a phone. 
that's from a different just, state. They can't just gather up the other little rascals and come knocking on the door with no, that was Spanky. Old school. And, that was mm-hmm. old school. Mm-hmm. And you just always had to ride your bike down to was like, Spanky's house. That was pre-phone. Yeah. We live in a post-phone world. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you're like two people in probably all of BYU Broadcasting that own a home phone. I have a home phone. Yeah, two people. Well, I bet there's more. There's probably more than that. If we wanted to pull. Hey, if you have a home phone, give us a call. one <laughs> On your home phone. And explain. BYU. Explain why. The, the, the reason is because it's just good to have a landline in case all cell towers go down. And today we're going to be talking about it. If, if, there, was a, if there was a nuclear event. Yeah. Some catastrophic world event that destroyed most of the United States. You would want a home phone. <laughs> but using your logic, I, I should sign up for Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, Hulu, uh, YouTube with no. live TV. Because no. that way, you know, I, I have another option. I can use no. that, too. No, I didn't get that. His so that it's totally if, if Netflix, yeah. for some reason, shuts down, yeah. well, at least I'll have Amazon Prime and Hulu this, and YouTube this TV. Seems, this seems to be an exaggeration. Of now, the this facts. would be for, because I don't get emergency services from Netflix. Well, right. some might if consider... If a child is bleeding in my kitchen and the cell lines are down, I need to use a phone. Some might consider Netflix going down an emergency. Well... Some people need to recheck priorities. But. That's right. By the way, so we're, today we're going to be talking about a book called Raven Rock. Yes. Which is what happens to the United States government. What if? If there is a catastrophe. Oh, I thought that was the rock group that Raven Simone no, formed. That never happened. Hmm. Uh, Raven Rock, by the way, huge book. It's like five. Hundred some odd pages, but it, the thing about the book is it tells you all of the secrets of how the government is organized and going to operate under like a, a, a cataclysmic event. And by the way, this is what happens when the government and the rest of us just sort of deal with ourselves because yeah. it's in the middle of the catastrophe. Sadly, only fourteen hundred people will yeah. be saved. This, apparently, this is the lifeboat concept, and even worse on, than that, off. the spouses don't get to go. 1,400, isn't that the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses? No. no oh, okay. No, no. The um, 1,400 people are saved uh, in the bunkers. And the government, by are the they, way, a lot of Congress, most of Congress isn't even saved. Well, okay, so, so there's, there's a bright It's side. really more of the executive branch that's saved. So we're going to be speaking with the author about kind of the hidden, the hidden story, the hidden, uh, the, the hidden plan. There is an actual plan. In fact, and George Stephanopoulos apparently leaked it accidentally at a party. He was carrying around a card, and the card was going to tell him what to do in case of an, a cataclysmic event. Wait, and so then, he gets saved? Well, George? He, he would have gotten saved during the Clinton administration. Hmm. Now he's going to die like the rest of us. Now he's on the bottom of the list. Yeah, it's kind of sad. But that's straight ahead. We, we're going to call it the government's secret plan to save itself, Raven Rock. That's actually one of the locations, apparently, where they're all going to head. We'll talk about that up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Imagine there was a foreseeable tragedy that would wipe out the country 
What would the government do? Do they have a plan to save the human race? Well, according to our next uh, guest, historian Garrett M. Graff, the government had a plan like this for the Cold War, and not everyone would live, sadly to say. Uh, Not everyone's covered under the plan. Here to speak with us today is Garrett M. Graff, the author of the book Rock Raven, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us – did I say – oh, sorry, Raven Rock – and to save ourselves, uh, so here's the name of the book. One more time. Um, Raven Rock, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a fascinating topic. And by the way, great job on the book. Um, it really, it, by the way, hefty. I, the book itself would be a great, I think, protective device um, from any radiation. It's this story. It, it makes a lot of sense in the Cold War that they were, you know, the government was so afraid of, a, I guess, a nuclear attack of some sort. Um, how did you get into wanting to study this topic of all topics? So I, as a magazine writer in Washington covering national security, I had run up against these plans uh, sort of many times over the years. I mean, they're, they're the modern incarnation of them is known as continuity of government, COG plans, COG hmm. plans. And, uh, you know, in the course of other stories, I had, you know, heard about people who had been to some of these mountain bunkers around Washington as part of exercises. I'd talked to some people who had been evacuated to them uh, on September 11th. Um, I even had a chance at one point for a story to fly with the first helicopter squadron of the U.S. Air Force, which is based at Andrews Air Force Base and is responsible for evacuating the nation's top officials in the event of an emergency evacuation of Washington. Um, but what really got me interested in these plans was a colleague of mine at the magazine where I was working then one day came into the office with an intelligence officer's badge hmm. uh, that he had found on the floor of a sort of transit parking garage on his commute. Uh, and the intelligence officer had dropped it uh, sort of unknowingly on, on, the, uh, on the ground. And when I started to look at the badge, uh, it, when I turned it over, it had on the back evacuation instructions. And so uh, being a curious reporter, I uh, started to follow them uh, and mm. got on Google Maps and followed them out through uh, Virginia, out into West Virginia eventually. And on Google Satellite, you could see exactly where they ended up. And it was this rode up the side of a mountain, and then there was a chain-link fence and a guard shack, and then about 100 yards past the, the chain-link fence, the, uh, the road just disappeared into the side of the mountain uh, mm. behind these big concrete bunker doors. And I was like, wow, like this is a facility that I've never heard of uh, that doesn't exist on the map. Uh, but is obviously part of these continuity of government plans in the modern era. Uh, and that sort of let me, uh, that, that started me down the path of investigating both what these plans once were and what they are today. Now, was that location Raven Rock or was that another location? No, it's another location entirely that I, I talk about actually at the end of the book. Um, it's uh, sort of the 
the public name of the facility is the Allegheny Ballistics Laboratory uh, in Rocket Center, West Virginia. But mm. it's actually uh, in addition to some uh, scientific research that goes on at the facility, it's a main hub of these continuity of government facilities uh, and relocation sites around Washington. Now, in the in uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of uh, locations and a lot of interesting information. One story that I heard was about um, how George Stephanopoulos had let it slip when he was an advisor in the Clinton administration. Yeah. And so this is, you know, what's fascinating about these plans is that they are uh, you know, they sort of used to be, certainly during the Cold War, one of the most closely guarded secrets in the U.S. government. And so you had officials who would work in adjacent offices, who, you know, who would work together every day, who didn't necessarily know uh, who was included in these emergency plans. Uh, and I tell the story in the book of when Aaron Sorkin, the director, was doing the research that ultimately became the West Wing and the American president, and he was interviewing George Stephanopoulos, who was then the uh, White House communications director under President Clinton. And George Stephanopoulos showed him the bus pass, uh, or what, uh, what George Stephanopoulos thought was a bus pass that he carried every day in his wallet. And when he, when he looked closer, it turned out to be an evacuation pass. His his instructions for how how and where he should go in the event of nuclear war, and Stephanopoulos uh, sort of explained how challenging uh, you know it was sort of mentally to hold on to this, and Aaron Sorkin turned it into an episode that some of the listeners might remember, uh, where White House Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman gets. Uh, gets one of these passes and sort of struggles with the ethical and moral weight of it. Right. And then, uh, and then when they're actually filming that episode, Dee Dee Myers, who had worked for George Stephanopoulos as the White House press secretary, uh, pulled Aaron Sorkin aside and said, you know, I, I, I want you to know I sort of think this episode's baloney because these passes don't really exist. And Aaron Sorkin is standing there and oh. sort of realizes, like, wow, like, Dee Myers, you never knew that you weren't actually going to be saved in nuclear war and that your <laughs> co-worker, George Stephanopoulos, would have been. She wasn't invited to the party. That's exactly. crazy. Wow, but I guess decisions like that have to be made. Another point you bring up in the book is the fact that there's not – there wasn't room for families either. Yeah, and this is this, – this is both – uh, this is probably the most long-standing problem in the history of these COG plans, uh, which is at the very first government evacuation drill in the summer of 1954, uh, when Dwight Eisenhower ran the first full-scale evacuation drill of the U.S. government, uh, what was known as Operation Alert, he uh, his, his cabinet secretaries, uh, you know, all... Uh, evacuated, practiced evacuating out to one of the two main government bunkers, a facility in Berryville, Virginia, that's known as Mount Weather. And they, uh, the newspapers at the time talked about uh, how, how much domestic trouble the cabinet secretaries got into when their wives all realized 
that their husbands would evacuate in nuclear war without them. And mm. that the Eisenhower wives uh, had uh, put, spent the afternoon that day playing a very chilly game of rummy back in Washington, <laughs> uh, awaiting their husband's return. Oh, wow. And that uh, this, this, this problem, even though it appeared in that first drill, was never really rectified, that uh, sort of government officials uh, would have uh, throughout the Cold War and even up to the present day have to choose between staying with their families or following their duty to the government. And it, it was a problem straight through the Cold War um, when Chief Justice Earl Warren uh, ascended to that role atop the Supreme Court. He was given one of these evacuation passes by the Office of Emergency Preparedness. And he sat there and he's like, well, I don't see a pass for Mrs. Warren. And the official, you know, sort of had to explain to him, well, you know, Mr. Chief Justice, we consider you one of the most important people in the U.S. government. And uh, the Chief Justice said, well, I've got good news for you. You can uh, make room for another most important person in government because <laughs> I'm not leaving without Mrs. Warren. And he turned his pass back in and would have never evacuated in the event of nuclear war. That is – that's amazing. And again, I guess uh, – these were the decisions that they were making under the knowledge that they had and the fear that they had. What what else was behind the making of this? I mean, was because to some degree it seemed it, it did it not seem extreme and uh, the idea that you were basically going to leave the rest of the government or the rest of the country um, unprotected. I guess what what was going on in their minds to create such a thing. Yeah, so the idea was that, uh, you know, America needed to survive. Um, and it became what I, uh, part of what I find so fascinating about this as a topic is how quickly that question uh, turns existential. You know, if you are trying to preserve America, well, what are you trying to preserve? Are you trying to preserve the president? Are you trying to preserve three branches of government? Are you literally trying to preserve the Constitution? Hmm. And so what they ended up doing uh, is they have a whole series of plans, not just for uh, the, the officials, but also for the historical totems that have bound us together generation by generation as Americans. And so at the National Gallery of Art, they have a plan to evacuate um, Leonardo da Vinci's Ginevra da Vinci from, uh, from the art gallery. Uh, at the Library of Congress, they ranked their historical artifacts and decided that they would save Lincoln's Gettysburg Address before they saved George Washington's military commission. Hmm. And at the National Archives, uh, they decided that they would save the Declaration of Independence before they saved the Constitution. Uh, and that all of these documents would, uh, you know, would be there after nuclear war to sort of show that America still existed. Interesting. Um, and I, actually, probably my favorite detail in, in the uh, in the entire book uh, is that through the Cold War, there was a specially trained team of park rangers in Philadelphia whose job it was to evacuate the Liberty Bell in the event of a Soviet <laughs> missile attack. 
Wow. But all of this sort of really imagined uh, this sort of uh, semi-bizarre post-apocalypse analog of the peacetime U.S. government. And so every aspect of government had its own uh, sort of post-apocalypse duties. Yeah. The, The post office would have been the agency actually in charge of registering the dead and figuring out who was still alive in the United States. The Park Service would be the agency that ran the refugee camps, uh, sort of figuring that national parkland would be uh, largely untouched. And so you would be able to set up large refugee camps uh, on inside national parks uh, once the urban areas of the country were destroyed. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture would be the agency would, that would... Uh, you know, be in charge of feeding the the post-war population to, uh, and, and everything up to uh, and including internal internal revenue service. The IRS had its own plan uh, for how it would levy taxes on nuclear damaged property uh, after nuclear war, because not even the apocalypse would stop the IRS from coming after you for taxes. <laughs> Oh, my heavens. That is amazing. Again, we're speaking with Garrett M. Graff, who is the author of the book Raven Rock, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die. And uh, one of the things about it, uh, Garrett, that that was fascinating to me is it seemed like it was much more focused on the executive branch of government than um, than the legislative branch. Is So did the legislative branch have its own plan? The legislative branch had a little bit of a plan. They they built their own bunker at the Greenbrier, which is a, a fancy resort in West Virginia, White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, where the House and the Senate would have evacuated uh, during the Cold War. Uh, it, it's actually now open to the public. And if you ever find yourself in West Virginia, it's well worth the stop to to walk through these chambers that would have once held the House and the Senate during nuclear war. And, just, uh, and the dormitories were, you know, dual bunk beds where people uh, where members of Congress uh, in rank order of seniority uh, would have slept uh, uh. In, inside the Greenbrier. And, and, and the, the preparations were incredibly advanced. I mean, each of those bunks was specifically assigned and in the drawer uh, at the bunk, uh, you know, w- would be your prescription medications and your even your your prescription eyeglasses. Wow! Uh, when you, when you moved into uh, to Congress, they would come and ask you what what you would need for the apocalypse. But what what I thought was sort of so funny about it was the uh, the the government didn't really trust telling all of the members of Congress in <laughs> advance about the whereabouts of the congressional bunker because just there were so many members of Congress, they thought it would be uh, hard to keep the secret. And so uh, the members of Congress, uh, if, if war had come during uh, when Congress was in session, they would have uh, you know, just evacuated straight from Capitol Hill. But if, uh, if nuclear war came on the weekends or during congressional recess, members of Congress were told to go to their local FBI field office 
and there were sealed letters that were awaiting them in those FBI field offices with instructions on where to report for their bunker. Oh, wow. So secretive. Is there is there still a plan today, and is it is it this robust? Um, and, uh, and and what would happen with the president? So it, it is still very much uh, a, a, a robust uh, plan. Um, in, in some ways, uh, you know, today it is even more robust than what you would normally have seen during the Cold War because of the technological advances that we have had uh, and the fears since September 11th. So many of these bunkers are still operational. Uh, Raven Rock, the the title of the book, uh, is a bunker in uh, Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, where the Pentagon would go. It is still running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Mount Weather, the bunker in Berryville, Virginia, where the president would likely be evacuated, uh, is still going. And we still keep a fleet of what are known as presidential doomsday planes, uh, these converted 747 airborne command posts that would serve uh, as the president's sort of oval office in the sky in the event of nuclear war. Um, those planes are still kept uh uh, when the president is here in the United States, uh, one of these planes is always sitting uh, on the tarmac at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio or off at Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's fully staffed and its engines are turning and it's ready to take off in just 15 minutes. Wow. So the president right now is overseas in, in Asia on his trip. One of these planes is flying uh, not very far away from him, ready to evacuate him at a moment's notice. Hmm. That's amazing. I mean, I guess that's as you need to do that, right? You've got to protect, uh, I guess, democracy is the idea by protecting the president. Um, what else? What else kind of surprised you? What else? Uh, what What else did you learn in your research of this that that would maybe surprise the rest of us? Well, one of the things looking at the the presidency is, you know, we have such a narrow idea of what the presidency actually is. I mean, we think of the the president as the person who we elect on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November every four years. But in fact, what we saw during the Cold War was the transformation of the presidency into an entity that actually today encompasses several hundred people and uh, that, that really for much of the, uh, America's history, we did not have a very good presidential succession system. Um, and the, it was really only the arrival of nuclear war and uh, the need to control on a minute-by-minute basis the nuclear arsenal that led us to pass that 25th Amendment that guides presidential succession. And so you have not just the members of the cabinet uh, who we think of in the member in the line of succession, but each of those cabinet offices also has its own line of succession. Hmm. And so uh, you end up with a scenario where if there's a catastrophic surprise attack on Washington, you end up with an incredibly odd set of government officials who pop up and would declare themselves the leaders of the country. 
um, people like the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, the top federal prosecutor in Chicago, the U.N. ambassador in New York, and even uh, the director of the Department of Energy's Savannah River Operations Center in Savannah, Georgia, Mm. uh, would uh, become one of the highest ranking officials in the U.S. government. Really? Wow. And, and, And none of us knew anything about this. Yeah, and, and we, we knew sort of very little about these plans during the Cold War. And, and a lot of this information is, is sort of public if you know where to look for it, but it's certainly not commonly known uh, e- even today. Yeah. Um, and that we, uh, you know, have this whole series uh, of doomsday plans, uh, you know, even today uh, that have been updated for, for the modern era. You know, the, the post office. Uh, is no longer the agency in charge of registering the dead in the event of nuclear war. Whew. But the post office is the agency that's in charge of distributing medical countermeasures mm. in the event of a public health pandemic uh, or a biological or chemical attack on the really? United States. Really? So okay. The, the next time you think about whether, uh, sort of what to leave as your holiday tip for your postman <laughs> yeah. or postwoman, you know, you really want to be one of the first people on your block to get that Ebola vaccine. That's so true and so interesting. Wow. Garrett, great stuff. Very, very interesting. The book, again, Raven Rock, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die. Just wonderful research, I think. And again, um, a lot of it shows you about the nature of man, right? Our fears and our desire to try to protect ourselves, our government, our way of life. Um, what what have you done to protect yourself, your family? Uh, you know, some families are very much into two-year supplies or, you know, emergency preparedness. What have you done? Uh, just a little, a little uh, wake-up call for, I guess, all of us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's interesting that all of these political leaders would be saved. And, um, you know, the rest of us, I guess, gone. Just gone. That's the, sad. The, Super the sad. The movie 2012. Is that a good movie? No. no. But there's a, uh, <laughs> a part of it towards the end where everyone ends up in China. Because apparently China wasn't destroyed by the volcano Ooh, yeah. under Yellowstone. Like the rest of the country. And um, they have been a secret plan to save the world's elite and the intelligent and hmm. government. And they have these things called arcs and they, they're big boat type things. And they just kick them out into the ocean and hopefully you survive. And then on the show The Last Man on Earth, you kind of get the other side of that where it's not the elite. No. It's kind of the, the sub-average. The obnoxious, maybe rude, maybe a little too <laughs> chipper – and then it ends up being maybe a genetic flaw that allows them to survive whatever disaster. Because they haven't even pointed out what the disaster is. So they're they're you know there's currently like a disease. they're currently in Mexico, and oh, they are. Uh, you find out later. over the course of this latest episode that the newest home that they've chosen to inhabit 
was the former home of a Mexican drug lord. <laughs> so it's kind of juxtaposed with all these scenes of people being killed. And so what do you do? So and they're baby proofing the house. <laughs> like I, that's what I love about that. Uh, the last man on earth is, is so if you were all of a sudden alone on the earth, what do you do? Like, do you go grab the the sports car you've always wanted? Whatever you want, apparently. I guess you. It would be fun to drive a Ferrari or whatever for for a while. while. They were driving around the A team van. They've got the (laughs) yeah. They've they've driven Marty McFly's or Doc uh, Doc Brown's time machine car, the 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 DeLorean. DeLorean. Would they? That's funny. So uh, they've also, if you're Will Forte, you get in a medieval suit and you go to a junkyard and have this giant magnet attract you to it. Okay. Just for fun. Just something to do. And then everybody else leaves him there. Everyone else on the show tends to just sort of do what they want, but it's not crazy. Forte is just like whatever he can think of. He's like human bowling ball and all yeah. kinds of stuff he tries Lots to do. Lots of destruction. Yeah. yeah. Paint but, and wood chippers. But you'd have to like get the food, as much food as you can. You can. I don't know. I, don't, I think it'd be very stressful. Because then you're just always driving around looking for someone else to talk well, to. Well, these they don't really stockpile food. You just go down to the grocery store because it's still there. Well, I know, but isn't it going to eventually just not all of it? Most, most, well, then a lot you, of it's canned. Yeah, then you approach our whoa, you approach our economy where you have a lot of canned goods, a lot of boxed yeah, goods that yeah. they last forever. They did have a cow at one point. I don't know whatever yeah. happened to the cow. Once but you they find a used cow it for dairy, that's money. Well, it died. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't want to spoil too much of the show. It always uh, always dies. So be thinking, what would you do if you were the last person on Earth? Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about uh, some other headlines, including P. Diddy may have a new name. you got to keep up on these things. I know. I think you, it's just P.D. You don't want to reference him inappropriately. Yeah, because how else would you know how to find Utopia? It's either P.D. or P.D. Period. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, a lot of stuff we got to cover on the show. Today, we've been trying to keep you alive longer. If there is a world calamity or, or uh, catastrophe, the government has a plan. Do you? That's the big question of, of the day. And um, other really pressing news, P. Diddy may uh, be looking to be called something else. So, rapper and uh, producer... Sean Combs has that's changed his, his name. name. Yeah. That's his birth name. A video posted to Twitter Saturday, Combs says he was celebrating his birthday by changing his name to Love, a.k.a. Brother Love. Mm, I don't know that I'm going to go He says there. he won't be a- answering to Puffy, Diddy, Puff Daddy, or any of his other monikers that he's had over the years. Can you just keep changing your name? Before announcing what he's called, uh, he called it Serious, Serious News. He explained huh. that the name change was due to the fact that he has changed as a person and is not who he was before. Okay. He says he knows changing his name again is risky and may come off as corny. Yeah. Bing, yes bing. and yes. He turned <laughs> Nailed four, it. He turned 48 on Saturday. There's some danger in changing your name based on what your current feeling is. No, absolutely. Because mine would be like I'm achy, hun- breaky, back. Yeah. I'm tired. You can call me tired from now on. You can call me swollen hips. <laughs> Grankle. <laughs> swollen hips. Yeah, don't ask. Um, I, I'm not calling him that. 
Mean okay, well, a brotherly love means something totally no, different. Brother love. Brother love. Yeah. yeah, no. Not doing it. I'm going to call him. What was the name before P. Diddy was Puff Daddy? I'm not sure anymore. I'm calling him Puff Daddy. Can't we just call him what his mother named him? Sean? Sean? Nice try, Sean. Lawrence Gomes. Okay, that's it, huh? How about I'll, that's all I'll, we got? I'll, I'll do this. I'll call him Sean Love Combs. I'll mm. compromise. You're gonna use a little. You gotta get a puff in there, or a P. Well, I'll puff while I'm saying it. Sean Puffy Love Combs. Puffy Love. And they call it no. Puffy Love. I think he's established what he wants to be called. My wife says I'm Puffy Love. That's different. It's a great song by Donnie and Marie. Oh, yeah. Or at least they sang it. That's why she's like sliding a nice salad in front of you. Here, Puffy. <laughs> Here, Puffy. <laughs> Love, will you eat this salad? Oh, boy. Honestly, that let's just put that in the Who Cares file. Well, there's a lot of that. McDonald's in Singapore, they've introduced lockers in their restaurants. So you can put your phone in there while you eat. Isn't that Why? kind of enforced over so there, though? No pho- there's no phone at the table. You can enjoy a meal with whoever you're with. Yeah, but you go to McDonald's for the free Wi-Fi more than anything else. Well, that's here. I don't you know always how see the businessmen with their laptop <laughs> and their whole office spread out on there. Oh, boy. That's cray-cray. There you go. All right. Uh, more fun straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Election Day. So, boy, was it one year ago today that President Trump, I mean, not today, Be- but believe it was around yesterday. this time. Yeah. yeah, one year ago yesterday. President Trump's completed one year. And uh, now this is another election where you get to uh, you get to have a say again. Yes, I voted on my city's mayor. How'd that go? I checked a box and mailed it back in. A was it ago. a were you were you was it a statement about President Trump? No, it's the mayor of my city. <laughs> I know, but the the governor of Virginia is going to be a statement on President Trump. That's what we keep hearing. Yeah, you know well. The Democrat there is actually doing no. The Republican there is actually doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Yeah, Democrats are trying to like, what are you doing? There are at least two point eight million people who would argue that they didn't get their way. What are you talking? Like their about? vote was didn't didn't count. Well, I know that happens every election. Right, half the people or whatever. Well, the two point eight million that that uh, was the difference between Hillary and Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Many would say President Which Clinton did win. Hillary did win. It was basically Orange County. Holy Orange cow. County was a huge chunk of that $2.8 million. Well, and when you think about it, that's just Orange County. Is that just for perspective, or was the $2.8 million coming from Orange County? Well, California would be one of the last <laughs> sure. states to be counted. As it, That's you know. why they need to move up. they got to move up. And they well, would... Not they, on election day. No, no, they, no, no. But they got, no, I know, but they got to have more power in the electoral process. Well, they're, they they're want. looking to move their primary. They'd um, also be one of the last ones to vote for a Republican candidate. Too. Eventually, everyone's going to keep moving it up. So we'll be having these. You know, we'll be talking politics all day, every day, twenty four seven. It will never end. Uh, it's kind of that way, anyways. But anyway, get out today and vote. Yes, it's your duty. It's your right. And if you don't vote, then shut your mouth. 
In my uh, mayoral race, there was a controversy over the current mayor's sort of past business association and some funding issues. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. It got, it got controversial for like a minute. And then we just, who cares? It's the mayor. Oh, I know. We had the same issue in our area. It's, it's a Don't lot of fun. Don't raise the taxes. Build another movie theater. Thank you. Yeah, but we want a new school. There you go. <laughs> Lots of stuff, folks, uh, to talk about today. Uh, new t- details coming out in the Texas Church Massacre. We'll be getting to those with Terry. Uh, what are they? Go ahead. I'll just hit him right up. Um, Air Force apparently made a mistake. They, didn't, they, they said, didn't close the loop. In effect, they said, our bad. Sorry about that. The guy, hmm. the shooter, I'm not going to name his name because Don't. I'm not giving yeah. him any credit. Uh, in fact, they've stopped doing that with the investigation. They'll do. They're oh, really? going to do press conferences. They mentioned his name to identify him. They haven't said his name. So since. now, now I, I just call I've, him the gunman. I think the media is doing a great job. I don't think I've heard his name a no. single time. Yeah, uh, yeah, gunman. That's his name. And he apparently had a domestic violence uh, while he was in the Air Force, which they booted him out of the Air Force. And then, because of the charge, he shouldn't have been able to get a gun. Right. But the Air Force didn't close the paper loop. Loop. They didn't give the information to the FBI so it could be put into the database. Uh, it was, stopped right there. So. Was he going after his ex-in-laws? No, he remarried. Okay. And, and then and then separated from that woman, and the in-laws were the ones that attended this church, and they think that might be – they're I, not exactly the, sure, but they, the, so the, second, the second set of in-laws. The second okay. wife that he separated from, his in-laws went to this church. I heard the grandma was The grandma there. was there and died. So the grandma-in-law, oh, that is tragic. Yeah. Uh, but on, it's, I, when I heard that, I thought, well, the grandma would be glad her kids wa- weren't there. But that's just – And the majority yeah. of the people that died came from two families. And by the way, he walked up and down the aisle. Yeah. He walked all the way up to the front of the, the room and then right back out the door. And within a very short amount of time, unloaded 450 or so bullets. And then walked out and dropped his gun mm-hmm. and then got in a car, drove away with two handguns, I guess. Another guy was in pursuit. Two other men were in pursuit. One was firing. One was driving. They shot. They shot him apparently. They shot him twice as he walked out of the church and he got <sighs> in the car and drove away. By the way, the hero that was the, was the driver said – or was it – no, I think it was the shooter said yep. he's never been more scared in his life. Former NRA mm-hmm. instructor, I think they said. So. Are you serious? Yeah. So wow. the shooter should have had at least some sort of basic training if he was in the Air Force, right, As, of yeah. using this gun? But like probably Air Force. Like he could have landed – I don't know. I don't know what – I don't know if he had like special forces. He, I'm no. sure he knew well, I think he would a have gun. a basic training. Yeah. Well, but they teach you that, but you can learn that in the Boy Scouts too, so – or just mm. watching YouTube videos or well, watching SWAT on Netflix. The movie the new or one? the TV show? See, the look TV where you're show. Going, don't go there. Don't <laughs> go there. You don't need to go to that level. Because I just watched the no. new TV show just, last you know, night. I, I'm like, wow. That's it a, was a hypothetical. Okay, I don't I'm even, just saying. Because one show. of you I know is going to say, it's actually on Hulu. SWAT's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. <laughs> actually, the movie might not, not be on any of those streaming devices. Yeah, it's kind of old. By the way, SWAT. But they just debuted the new show last week. No, don't even go there. Yeah. I used to play SWAT. It's interesting as a how, kid. how the SWAT team were also detectives. Did somebody just SWAT me? <laughs> SWAT. I used to play it on my mom's four poster bed. Just jump in the back with my gun. I used to have a little M16. Hmm. Plastic. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> Those were the days. 
Okay, so uh, we've covered uh, some of the headlines. Let's get to the real headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? President Trump on Tuesday urged North Korean leaders to come to the table over the issue of its nuclear arsenal in a press conference with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Trump said he hoped to God that he would never have to use the U.S. military in an all-out war against North Korea. Trump called both Russia and China to put pressure on North Korea, pleading that the isolated nation do the right thing, not only for North Korea, but for humanity all over the world. Really? Monday marks exactly one year before the 2018 midterm elections, and in the true spirit of excessively long American campaign seasons, that means we will begin talking about next year's races before this year's election, which is today. And even that's even happened. So in 2018, campaign is expected to cost more than the $3.84 billion spent in America's last term cycle in 2014. McClatchy reports, with record-setting spending from candidates and political action committees alike, Priorities USA, a PAC that helped elect former President Barack Obama, is planning on dropping $50 million on digital advertising alone, while the American First Action Super PAC, which supports President Trump, projects it will raise and spend $100 million. Wow. Control of Congress will be hotly contested with a Republican majority facing external challenges from Democrats and internal challenges from Steve Bannon's war on the GOP. Do you know what so really this be fun? What people ought to do hmm. is just ignore it. Okay. Study in your don't watch the national political races. All right. Why do I need to know anything about Virginia's race? Honestly. It's true. Or New Jersey's race. Right. Watch your local race, get as involved as you can, read all of the sources of information, mm. and don't get caught up in all of the hype. Right. That's my prescription. If you want to have a healthy, sane year. Because <laughs> it's going to get crazy. Oh, yeah. When you have, what, Bannon going after all these senators oh. and members of the House, and then you have the Democrats trying to take those seats from those I mean, members one, of the GOP. One thing that's good is uh, President Trump's putting enough weird pressure out there that people like Corker don't want to come back. They're just like, right. I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to come back. Flake probably wanted to come back, but well, I mean, maybe it's good that people don't want to come back. His book kind of tanked him. Is kind of the feeling is yeah. that he put the book out, and then everybody in his district in the you know Arizona yeah. went the other direction. But it's lucky for him he gets to go back to Snowflake. He's got right. an entire town named after him. Well, his family. Yeah, it's not him. But, well, it is now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all of that, fifty nine percent of Americans believe that the United States is currently at the lowest point in history. According to the American Psychological Association's annual Stress in America poll. Really? The lowest point? Lowest point. A majority of respondents in every surveyed age group agree that America's lowest point is right now. That includes 56% of those 72 and over who lived through Pearl Harbor and World War II. Okay. 59% of millennials who largely came of age post 9-11. Americans of all political backgrounds are worried about the future. Includes 73% of Democrats, 59% of Independents, 56% of Republicans. The vast majority of Americans, 95%, say they follow the news regularly, but that desire to stay informed causes more than half of them, 56%, to experience stress. So people are more stressed than they've ever felt, according to the study. Well, this is a stress in America poll. Gotcha. What about, like, Vietnam and World War II? Yeah, I think World War II. Well, 72 and over, 56% of those who lived through those times think this is the worst. What about when people had to wait to find out who shot uh, JR? Yeah, that was a really dark time. 
<laughs> that was because so, I was sure it was Captain Steubing from the Love Boat. <laughs> and a, a crossover? Yeah. They had a crossover? Yeah. According to the poll, women are getting more stressed while men are more relaxed. With stress levels measuring on a scale of 0 to 10, women saw their stress levels tick up 5.1 in 2017 from 5.0 in 2016, while men's stress levels dropped from 4.4 to 4.6 over the same period. Wow, so men are getting less stressed and yeah. women are getting more stressed. Which is accurate in my home. Absolutely. My wife that, is stressed out bad. and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We need to have a guest on about that because is there anything men could do to help women be less stressed? Of course. Sure. We just don't. Yeah, why would we? What pigs? There's a TV to watch. Come on, men. And finally, yeah. it was longer than two football fields. Weighed as much as nearly a dozen double-decker buses. Mm. Took nine weeks to annihilate. But the London Fatberg is officially no more. Oh. They took it out. Our work is finished, and the beast is finally defeated after a mammoth effort from the team, says Alex Saunders of the Thames Water uh, Utility per Sky News. The congealed blob made of fat oil and other stuff found in a sewer had oh. taken over the pipes in the eastern part of the city, wreaking havoc on the sewer as it ballooned. This is gross. It took what uh, Saunders called a gut-wrenching work of eight people with powerful jet hoses to blast the rock-hard fatberg out of existence. Tim's Water is running a uh, Bennett Don't Block It campaign to get rid of, uh, to get people to stop flushing Bennett, stuff that they it. shouldn't be flushing down the toilet, uh, according to the Evening Standard. There's a big chunk of it they're going to put in the uh, Museum of London so really? they can mm. uh, put it on display. And they can, oh, that will stink. Yeah. Well, it'll probably be in a sealed box. To, but will it? I don't know. We'll see. And another uh, other remnants of it is actually being collected. It'll be turned into biodiesel, and it'll be enough to run a double-decker bus for a year. See, that is cool. Kids, gather around the Fatberg. Let's take a family photo. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what Everybody grab a handful of Fatberg and shove it in the car. If I ever go to London, <laughs> yeah. I will go see a Fatberg. Of course. Well, there's a you can, the you can do it here in the United States. There's a place called Fatburger here. Uh, Fatberg, hmm. not burger. Well, I know, but just go out the back door. Well, yeah. Down the street. <laughs> it's just, yeah. In the, sewer. in the middle of winter. Well, I don't want to go actually into the sewer, and most places aren't saving these fatbergs. They're just getting rid of them, and this place is going to preserve it for all time and humanity so we can look at it and realize the things that we have done. Well, can't you just imagine it? N- well, see, that's sure, why but, you've been given an imagination. Sure, but I want to, I, you know, I just want to go see it. It's one thing to stand there next to something that you've read so much about. You want to, it's like you want to. I am a Fatberg fanboy, okay? I would really like to see what this thing looks like. Well, check out the YouTube. It's not the same. There's some weird fisheye cameras, and they're... they're it's you want to get close. You want to get in. You want to get some gloves on. see what's going you on. You want to run your, your latex gloved hand through it. <laughs> okay, sure. Maybe. Not really. That's gross. That's super gross. But all the videos are like um, someone's got some camera strapped to their forehead. Yeah. So you can't really get a good look at it as they're using some high-pressure hose to destroy it. Just go look at it. <laughs> they won't do it. Aren't we a weird people? Yes. Like, I mean, honestly, that's going to become a huge hit. Oh, yeah. It'll be Come a, see the fat bug. Come see the fat bug. You have some kid out front hawking tickets. This is the biggest fatberg in the history of the world. It's the ninth wonder of the world. I don't go. know how many wonders there are, but... I think there's it's going to be seven, one of them. Nine, eight. They keep adding. It's a wonder we don't know how many wonders there are. That's so crazy. Well, thank you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Aunt Judy. So, what do you think about that stressed poll? 
I believe it. Don't you find? I feel think like America's stressed yeah, out. I do, and I, I'm, I'm really. Is this the lowest point in American history? No. In American history, there a little. No, like, I, I really think World War II was the lowest point. I just think, but I think people we have more stress because if we had World War II and Facebook at the same time, mm. that would have been oh. a nightmare. Right. Right. I think Vietnam would have been worse. This though, is what with I'm doing for the war effort. It's what I keep telling people is they, they people keep saying there's so many bad things out there, and I go, yeah, and they've been around for a long time. We, we just we're not it. sharing it. The internet brings it to yeah. us. We can go find it really fast. Well, the before, echo chamber, right? So we too. just keep having this echo of everything that's going mm-hmm. on, and then imagine everybody like I'm I'm what 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 did rivet what did the rivet lady do? She was riveting airplanes. Rosie, or rivet Rosie. I riveted 5,000 rivets today. Here's a picture of me yeah. doing so. <laughs> she would brag, And so on yeah. your Facebook page, all we'd hear about are the great things everybody's doing. And then you'd feel bad because you didn't go out yeah. and rivet the airplanes. Yeah. I just had to take care of my four kids and feed three neighbors. Yeah. So are we – see, because back, back in the uh, the war effort, right, there was a lot of propaganda to yeah. get people motivated to, to right. help. And uh, if you watch, what is it? It's a Wonderful Life. You'll yeah. see him. I'm part of the war effort. Right. And they have like the rubber. You know, tires yeah. are being you know rationed and stuff. Um, we're doing that to ourselves with Facebook. Yeah, but you had to go to the theater, right, to see those. Well, no, but I mean posters, and then yeah. it, it, you know, in the yeah. in the now in, we do it. But we your impression rate today yeah. is probably a thousand times the impression rate back right. then. By the way, there's a great bet. spoof of It's a Wonderful Life on The Simpsons. Oh, the money's not here. It's in Joe's house and, and Fred's house. Hey, what are you doing with my money in your house, Fred? <laughs> Do we have the rights to that? Because it sounds like you just played it. We can quote it. It's fine. No, but he quoted it, but it didn't yeah. sound like he actually but played it. I don't it, think the names were right. Yeah, it felt like we were there watching the show. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. That's great. That's good radio right there. So how do we stop propagandizing ourselves? I, I honestly, in fact, I talked about this in my date night. You should have been there, guys. But uh, oh, was saved, there a date night? Yeah, would have saved your marriage. I've been to one. Well, and I, I'm still married. I do two so, a year. So if I watch like four episodes of This Is Us with my wife, does that qualify as a date night? Not. It not felt a date like night it was with a date Matt. Night. It's one of those things that you just sort of do. But one of the rules I said is you gotta turn, you gotta quit numbing yourself. Okay. So I think I think everybody numbs themselves differently. Would it help to unfollow all humans on Facebook? I think what would help is if if because it might be why. And I don't know. You tell me the stats on this. Oh. Do women use social media more than men? I have to look that up. Yes, I think so. My guess would be yes, but. I don't know. Because if that is the case... Maybe they use them differently. I personally would attribute some of that depression to the fact that women use Facebook more. Because this this does show that women are feeling more stressed than men. And I bet that's part of it because they might feel more social stress as well. I also think it's because men don't help around the house as much as we should. Hmm. And so I, my, my wife does feel bad that she's not feels like maybe I'm not doing enough. Yeah. No, yeah. And then when I ask her, why, where did this come from? Well, so-and-so on Facebook did this. We'll have him come over and do it. And then I'm like, well, I never have that because I never see someone talking <laughs> yeah. about the great thing they just yeah. did on Maybe Facebook. Maybe you need to look at Facebook more. Is that what it she is? She needs to look at it less. Maybe rebalance the mm-hmm. relationship? Okay. Yeah. So I think if all of that happened and um, – yeah, so husbands helped out a little bit more around the house. That might be a good start. I don't think necessarily that women really want to be on Facebook all that much, but sometimes you just need to hide out in the bathroom from your kids, and then that's where the Facebook comes into play. Yeah, that's true, too. And since we've all eliminated magazines, 
Yeah, do you remember what when we used to have read? magazines in there? Yeah. You got to do something. Those were filthy. Yeah. Now you have a phone that you carry around with you all day. <laughs> That's even worse, yes. <laughs> that is so gross. Anyway, uh, we're, we're going to bring a guest on um, down the road to talk about that. So uh, we will help you figure out why women are more stressed today than men and also um, what you can do about it. That's got to be helpful. But up next, we're going to be talking about processed foods. You know, they always get a bad rap, like, you know, somehow – they're just all these food processors are out there trying to slowly kill everybody. But they're, according to some of the researchers, there is a lot of uh, a lot going on in processed foods that that may not be as bad as you think. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. When you want something healthy, you tend to look for the words organic or natural on the packaging at the grocery store. What many people don't realize is that many foods with these labels are actually processed foods as well. Natural foods such as baby carrots are even disinfected with chlorine. Uh, Rob Schufeld is an expert in food science, and he's joining us today to talk about why processed foods shouldn't get such a bad rap. Rob uh, is a retired professor of food science and technology at the University of Georgia. He retired in 20. 13. Rob, thanks. Robert, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is such a, I think, interesting topic because, again, processed foods, you know, now seen as evil. Uh, it's, you know, only there to kill you and slowly destroy your life. And instead, we choose organic foods, natural foods. But you, it sounds like you're kind of on a mission to, uh, to maybe either uh, help us understand more or repair that bad reputation. I say that was accurate. Talk about um, why it gets such a bad rap and, and, and what we need to know about processed foods to really, I guess, be a, a, smarter, um, a smarter shopper. Well, it's easy to scapegoat processed food. It seems to be the evil that they, if you just avoid them, then everything will be all right. But like you mentioned in the introduction, most everything we consume is processed food. The concerns that 70% of the salt comes from either processed or restaurant foods, but probably over 60% of the foods we eat are processed. Um, One of the examples I would have is the sandwich that we make at home. If we start with bread, and that bread is from a package from the supermarket, then it's a processed food. If we put mayo or mustard on it, then we're talking about a processed food. If, If the ham or turkey or whatever came from the deli, that's a processed food. So you might have some tomato and lettuce that's not processed, but everything else is. And in studies where they talk about salt coming from processed foods, the salt is coming from each one of those. And the greatest amount of salt is coming from the bread, believe it or not. Oh, really? Talk about processed. Actually, define it for us. So a processed food is what? Um, Well, the definition that I like the best is anything coming out of a bag, bottle, box, can, or jar. So that covers a lot of what we consume. Um, what they'll tell you is don't avoid everything in the middle aisles of the supermarket. Well, if you yeah. do that, you're not going to have many ingredients to prepare foods at home. Uh, so that's one of the problems is the whole idea of a definition. Uh, in food science, what we consider the traditional processes are canning, freezing, uh, drying, 
fermenting and things like that. The thing that a lot of the critics of processed foods are concerned about are those that have five or more ingredients. But most of the foods we prepare at home also have five or more ingredients. Hmm. So I guess it's really because, I mean, that actually, that seems different. Bag, bottle, box, can, or jar. Um, I guess we, we did that for a reason, right? We've been processing foods mainly, I guess, for shelf life, right? And for quality of life. Uh, shelf life and convenience yeah. are two of the main main things. And, and also to protect us from unsafe foods, Um if we have it in a bag or box and it's processed, then we can put it in the refrigerator or what have you, and it's less uh, of a problem as far as safety. I guess another part or another point you bring up um, on your blog, by the way, a great blog on the website, processedfoodsite.com, processedfoodsite.com, and you uh, you oversee that and run that, is we think the history of processed foods is something kind of new. But uh, you you have a whole different take on it. Right. Processed food's been around for a long time. Even the Sumerians back at the beginning of civilization were processing foods on a commercial scale. There's a really great book by Rachel Lawden um, that talks about food processing and how it went uh, back for a long period of time. Wow. And it's, I mean, because we, they probably used to dry meats and salt meats and do a lot of stuff back in the day. That's correct. Did, um, I, I guess one of the things that we, we, a lot of us, because I guess the idea is if it's not processed, it's a whole food. And talk about the reality is there, there's some foods that we think might be not processed, but they are. Give us some examples of of just simple processing techniques that we that we're using even on fruits and vegetables. Well, a, a can of tomatoes, like you mentioned, organic a can of organic tomatoes um, is processed and it's fairly heavily processed. The uh, amount of heating that goes into that it's it's basically in a pressure cooker, and it we would consider that a fairly heavily processed. I've seen on sites where. They talk about that as being minimally processed, but as from a food science standpoint, it's anything but minimal. Hmm. And we use chemicals as well, right? We use chlorine, I guess, a lot to clean our vegetables. Yes, but uh, the whole concept of chemicals in our food is something that sort of riles me up. The There's a book I'm reading on flavor right now, and he, he goes into all sorts of aspects of flavor, but he gives somebody a apple can a can candy that's apple flavored and then has them uh, also have look at an apple and he says which of these has more chemicals well it turns out the candy has about 29 that gives the impression of apple flavor whereas there are over 200 chemicals that just in the aroma of a regular apple so we have the the whole idea of chemicals in our food is a, a misunderstood and I guess the belief there then is it's um, – chemicals are okay. I guess it's the it's the quantity of the chemical. Right. And, and all vitamins are chemicals. All minerals are chemical. Protein is a very complex chemical. So those are all good chemicals. The chemical that's in food the most is good old H2O. And we don't think of that being a chemical. But even dry flour has about 5% of the water. Hmm. So 
chemicals are there. We obviously want to avoid harmful chemicals, and sometimes we get into concerns about whether certain chemicals are harmful or not. But just because something has a chemical name doesn't mean that it's harmful or bad for us. So... It's so. How do we balance these ideas? Because we hear we hear about all of the unhealthy sugars and salts in you know a lot of the processed foods, and then um, everybody kind of turns against those. But the reality of what you're saying is there's it's not maybe as as bad as we're making it sound. How do we know what to trust? Well, that's that's uh, an interesting question. From sugar, there's a lot of work that's being done now on sugar that says that we consume too much, and I don't think that comes as a big surprise to most of us, but there may be certain sugars that are more of a concern than others, particularly those with fructose, and that is being worked out right now, but um, the whole idea that if we just avoid processed foods, we're avoiding sugar is not really the case. Um, If we think about cakes, pies, cookies... Um, homemade ice cream, whatever, those have a lot of sugar, but we can't turn around and look at the label and find out how much sugar. Now, one of the things that you have to be cautious with on sugar is in a processed food is the um, amount of the serving size. Mm. If you have um, a small serving size, we may be eating two, three, four uh, serving sizes at a sitting, and then that can be a problem. Um, but we don't have a nutritional label on those home-cooked foods, and I don't think many people really have an idea when they're preparing either a sweet or a salty food uh, how much on the daily value that's been in that. We don't have labels for that. Yeah. We're speaking again with Robert Schufelt, uh, who is a retired professor of food science and technology at the University of Georgia, and he retired back in 2013. He also runs a blog titled ProcessedFoodSite.com and is is basically helping us at least uh, be a little more educated about processed foods. We've kind of demonized them. We've made them the the uh, you know the Darth Vader of the food world, but I guess in reality, part of what I hear you saying is just become informed, start reading, make sure you're eating the right serving size, um, and uh, and just be aware, but also be grateful that we do have processed foods because life would be a lot harder and different if we didn't. That's. That's the way I feel. Yes, thank you. You bet. Um, what talk about uh, the idea? I guess as I look at it too, um, we do know that these companies make enormous amounts of money on creating these processed foods, and um, and so and then, you know some people are just kind of anti big business, anti, and, and then the stories come out that they're getting us more and more addicted to sugar or what have you. Do do we? Would it be better still to to um, to try to have as much uh, uh, you know unprocessed foods as we can, or in your mind, really is it is it not that big of an issue? Um, I'm not a big fan of big food, particularly the highly advertised foods. The highly advertised foods are ones where you're getting a high profit margin, and and their concerns about using cartoon characters to sell products and things like that. And I, I can go along with that. But most of the products 
uh, in the aisles, center aisles, are fairly low profit margin. Uh, where your high profit margin is are around the outside of the supermarket where your meats and produce and things like that. So um, the whole concept of things being uh, a big ripoff or whatever is, is something that I don't believe is the case. When food scientists basically are those that are assuring the quality of food products and designing new food products. So every food product you see on on the shelves has had the touch of a food scientist developing that, making sure it's safe and hmm. things like that. But um, the whole concept that we're being ripped off, I, I really have a problem with that. Because in your book, In Defense of Processed Foods, you basically have traced fresh fruits and vegetables from farm to market, and um, we, we look at those as fresh you know, vegetables and fruits, but really they too have gone through some form of processing as well. Yes, or at least least handling. I, I point out in the book of a, a story where, and, and most of my work is kind of ironic, but most of my research was on fresh fruits and vegetables and, and how they proceed through the handling system. And we were down in Bainbridge, Georgia, which is way down in the corner of the state there near Florida and Alabama. And we had followed the beans from the uh, field to this packing facility. And I was on the back dock sort of waiting. And I looked down the street, and there was a grocery store about two or three blocks away. So I asked one of the guys there, well, how does how do these beans get to that grocery store? And he says, well, see, we pack them up, we send them to Atlanta, which is over 200 miles away. <laughs> they, they're they there in Atlanta, then they come down in a truck, and they're distributed out of someplace there near Bainbridge, and that's how they get them. And that seems kind of strange, <laughs> but when you look at the logistics, if that produce manager at the supermarket or grocery store has to deal with 10, 20 farmers, whatever, that makes it much more difficult than if they're just dealing with one warehouse or one company. Hmm. Isn't that true? And that's interesting. And they go on these long journeys, and I think a lot of people think, yeah, so why? Just take the fresh fruit down the street. So are there certain canned or processed foods that you think are better overall than fresh or whole foods? Um, Well, I don't necessarily say they're better overall. Uh, They're more convenient. But they also, um, there are times where fresh and uh, where processed foods are superior to whole foods. For instance, in Houston or down here in Florida when we had the hurricanes, um, we couldn't distribute a whole lot of fresh fruit. Right. Foods. Uh, it was processed. And when down in Puerto Rico, they had all those processed foods that were in those containers, but they couldn't get the containers to the supermarkets. Well, if that was all perishable foods, then they'd all be food waste. So there are many times where that's good. The soldiers in the field can't exactly carry their fresh fruits and vegetables and cook them up while they're in the field. So there are a lot of cases where processed foods in the time and and, uh, place are most important. There are some products that are being developed. They're being distributed, um, particularly in Africa, but other places too, where the women who are pregnant are not getting sufficient uh, food and nutrients. So 
they're making processed foods um, from local ingredients and primarily based in peanuts that um, are, give them enough nutrition so they can have uh, be, have a good nutritional status for them and for their child. Man, I mean, that really is where you see the blessing of it all is the ability to get foods across the world, across the country, um, disaster, military situations. What um, One thing that I have heard, and I, I'd love you to maybe help clarify this, is some of the processing that we do of foods actually um, – it, it takes away the nutritional value. It might diminish the minerals or the nutritional value. Is that true in the very processing uh, we do that? Yes, it is. Anytime you heat something, you are developing new flavors, and that's a plus, but you can also be uh, destroying nutrients. Canning, for instance, happens to be fairly destructive on certain vitamins. Um, cooking, that particularly if you boil vegetables, that what happens is the minerals from inside the vegetable go out into the uh, the water called the pot liquor down south. <laughs> yeah. And the pot liquor sometimes is more nutritious than the actual greens because it's got more vitamins and minerals. Of course, it doesn't have the fiber. Yeah. So there are all sorts of, of processes that you have to be careful about. And generally, when it's done under a controlled environment, within a processing plant, um, there are less losses of vitamins and minerals. But everything's a trade-off. Yeah. And so you, you're preserving the food so it doesn't spoil. And food waste is one of the biggest problems that we have that tends to be pretty much ignored. Um, but you you are trading off losing some nutrients in the process. So then let me just ask one more question. We'll let you go. Is um, So it's one thing. So processed foods, you know, if, if they've been overcooked or, or cooked and, or heated up, they, they probably are going to lose some nutritional value. What about then just fast food overall? I mean, is there – I guess nobody's going to get fast food for its nutritional value, I'm assuming. But um, well, it, what do you think? Well, it depends on what you mean by nutritional value. Right now, nutrition means uh, not enough, not too many sugars, not too much salt, not too much fat. And obviously, fast foods give you that. Although, right. you, when I go to a fast food restaurant, I don't order the supersize or whatever. But nutrition also means vitamins, minerals, and protein. And it's hard to beat a pizza or a hamburger from the standpoint of a balance of protein, minerals, and and now, you don't want to eat too much of it, but oh, yeah. the balance is there. And if you're doing just a plant-based diet, fruits and vegetables, you have to have a wide range or you're going to be deficient in some of those nutrients. Yeah. So what my, one of the concerns I have is the old nutrition, which is I grew up on, was primarily vitamins, minerals, and protein. And the new nutrition is avoid sugar, fats, and salt. And both are incomplete. So you need to bring the two together to have really a valuable nutrition. Boy, that's great advice. Great advice. Robert Schufeld, thank you so much for um, just you know letting us see the other side of it. Robert Schufeld is the author of the book In Defense of Processed Foods. Also, you can go to his website, processedfoodsite.com, processedfoodsite.com to get more information and just follow his blog. Ah. It's food. And we do need vitamins, minerals, protein, sugars, uh, and uh, watch out for your salts as well. But bring them all together. 
Interesting stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend we will show. We will continue the journey as we're trying to make us all healthier and live longer. Welcome back, friends. It's time for Empty News on the Matt Townsend Show. Empty News does not mean it has nothing in it. It means empty. Matt Townsend News. And who better to host it than Jeffrey Liam Simpson? The Empty News Team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. You didn't even say Apple. <laughs> Apple? There so, we go. So uh, what's going on in the news? So some crazy things going on, actually. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed some problems from your kids playing video games. Maybe when you played video games yeah. at one point, yeah. all sorts of things. I'm, my brother-in-law uh, cut up a pair or cut up a uh, remote or the game controller oh, uh-huh. because he got frustrated he one time. Cut it apart. He cut the cord. <gasps> cut the cord so wow. nobody could play. Anyway, lots of things happen, but hopefully the cops are never involved. Yeah, once the cops get involved in a video game. Then there's a big problem. Yeah, so this is in Huntington, West Virginia. Police rushed uh, Monday night in response to a shooting, but what they encountered was completely unexpected. The county 911 service received the call around 11 p.m., and the dispatcher could hear a man in the background say he was shot. I'm going to shoot you, another person said on the open line. Scary. Someone else yelled, I've been shot in the back. When police arrived moments later, the only injuries and guns in sight were on TV. It looks like this is going to be a game of Call of Duty, an officer told Dispatch. Apparently, the 911 call was a pocket dial. Was, uh, (laughs) was Was it the audio? Was it the audio from the game? Or was it was it the guys yelling, oh, you got me in the back? They could have been playing online. You know how they had those headsets yeah, yeah. and their phone. It was not oh, a butt dial, but boy. a pocket dial. That's got to happen more often than you think because <laughs> a lot of people are out there playing that game. How terrifying. You're using these fake guns uh, and all of a sudden somebody bursts through your door with a real gun. And there's always that one guy that you're playing with that wants to do the play-by-play. <laughs> Jerry's slowly creeping up the side of the building. And then – so – you need you need to play with less verbal people. That's sure. the rule, folks. Yeah. Uh, who do you think would win in a fight between a python and a bat? Well, you'd think the bat would just never get near the python. You Once would the hope python so. gets the bat, it's over. Really? Oh yeah. You might be wrong. Oh boy. So an enormous python. Uh, there's video of this. You should look it up. Tries to swallow a bat whole. As the creatures fight to the death in this stomach-churning footage, uh, the gruesome video captured in Brisbane, Australia, shows the animals locked in combat while hanging from a tree. The bat is trapped in the carpet python's grasp. For You've got a carpet python in your carpet, right? And I have a carpet python grasp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's locked in this grasp for an hour as the pair battle it out, lucky for the bat, the non-venomous python gives up and drops the winged creature to the ground. Couldn't quite get around the wings. Yeah. But just to give you some perspective, the average size of an adult uh, python is roughly 6.6 feet. Wow. But they can grow up to 13 feet in that's, length. That's like the average size of an NBA player. <laughs> yeah. But they and they've, have... got, they've got a python grip on that basketball, too. That's amazing. Oh, that would be – can you imagine anything more terrifying than – 
than just rolling over in your Slow, carpet. Slowly being crushed to death? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to be crushed to death, I want it fast. <laughs> <laughs> Terry said it sounds like one of his first dates. And then uh, finally, there is a 400-pound tuna in the Massachusetts seaport of Gloucester, known as America's oldest seaport. And it's not unusual to be found, I guess, to find a 400-pound uh, fish in the woods. Well, that's kind but of the unusual. Weird, well, the weird thing is, it's headless. What? Yeah. Authorities, that, they're preparing it for President Trump. <laughs> authorities won't say exactly when the tuna was found or who tipped them off, but Allie Rogers, a spokeswoman for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Fisheries Office for Law Enforcement... Whew. Tells the Gloucester Daily Times that the fish was illegally harvested. <laughs> a police spokesperson says he's never before had to investigate a tuna in the woods. I that's a strange story. But remember, President Trump said, I don't want any heads on my fish. That's, that's what true. he told the people when he went to Asia. I'll eat fish. Don't want heads on them. Do you really think he could uh, finish a 400-pound fish, though? But it's a tuna. Oh, tuna's a good fish. Hmm. Don't you wonder? Now there's a story behind that. And, you know, they're they're actually, speaking of a story behind this, there is also a new trailer behind this. What? Well, what do you got, Johnson? Sir, it's a 400-pound male tuna. Deceased. Had to be hauled out of the trees by a tow truck. Oh, and uh, one other thing, sir. What is it, Johnson? Excuse me, Chief. I think I'm going to be sick. Good heavens. Whoever did this took his time. Enjoyed himself. In my 30 years as police chief, I've seen plenty of deceased 400-pound male tunas out here in the woods... But I have never seen a headless one. Hey, Johnson! Better call the missus! Looks like we're gonna be here a while. Something fishy's going on in... The Forest of 400-Pound Headless Fish. Coming soon to Finemas near you. Sometimes it seems like we're all in a rush to grow up, but when you finally start getting there, you want to slow down the process. Being an adult can be freeing, but it also comes with a lot of responsibilities and surprises. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, is discovering some of what it takes to be an adult and is going to share with us what she's learned. I've come to that time in my life where I'm nearing the end of my college career. Graduation is encroaching upon me, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. Growing up is hard. Man, this whole adult thing crept up on me. I feel like I was just innocently studying, picking the marshmallows from my Lucky Charms, and the next thing I knew, I was adulting. Yup, happens to the best of us, just warning you. So, I reflected on my recent circumstances and came up with some warning signs. Here are five ways you know you're an adult. Number one, budgeting. I remember the first time I ever had to buy my own groceries. I was in college my freshman year, living with my sister. I went to the kitchen to get some cereal and milk, and the fridge was pretty empty. I asked her where the breakfast was, and she asked if I'd bought any from the store. 
I just stared blankly at those empty shelves thinking, I have to buy my own food? I remember that traumatizing moment when I realized money from my own pocket would be going to groceries rather than a weekend trip with my friends, which introduced the concept of budgeting. But now my budget consists of not just groceries, but gas, replacement tires, utility bills, rent. Ugh. Number two, making your own doctor's appointment. Still haven't mastered this one yet. What happened to the days when you just call your mom and tell her you weren't feeling well, and the next thing you knew, you were at the doctor's office with a fresh new scratch and sniff sticker? When I realized I had to find my own local physician, I just started avoiding the doctor altogether. I think I can get by with the basics. Drink water, eat veggies, sleep, right? Plus, it feels like I have to recite an entire autobiography every time I make a phone call. Number three, increasing your vocabulary. Yep, in these recent pastimes, I've learned a lot of new words. Well, not new words, but very old words that I'd hear every day, but I just finally understand what they mean now. Like, just in this past month, I've learned words like home equity, curriculum vitae, dividend, Roth IRA, and compound interest. Which brings me to number four, paying taxes. Man, it is a reality we all have to face. All I really knew about it before was that I had to pay extra fees at the checkout line. It's something that grown-ups always groaned about, and that the Bostonians threw tea in the harbor over it. And yes, now I understand why. You have to jump through hoops just to figure out your adjusted growth income, not to mention itemizing deductions and multiplying tax rates. Yeesh. You'd think the government would make it easy for people to give them money. Quite the deterrent. And number five, job hunting. Ugh, where do you even begin? You know, graduating feels like you're being let out of prison and jumping off a cliff all at the same time. There's such a big, wide world out there, and there comes a time when you have to decide how you want to fit in it. Everyone seems to be on the hunt, but when I sat down, I thought, uh, how do I even do this? Just Google, how do I survive in the world? Ugh, I think I might just resort to asking Siri. Well there, you've been warned. If you haven't already been hit with it, it's coming for you soon. So you'd better snuggle up with your lucky charms and enjoy free lollipops and scratch and sniff stickers while you still can. Well, happy adulting, everyone, and good luck. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry and Jeff. The gang is here. And by the way, today, get out the vote. You got to go out and vote today. Be involved in the community. And I love I love that everybody has an opinion, but I love even more if you exercise your opinion with a vote. So get out and vote. Can I have an opinion if I don't vote? No, you oh. can have no opinion if you don't vote. Again, there is a responsibility to being a human. No opinion for you. <laughs> yeah. No need to even uh, push back except the fact that at some point, folks, uh, if if you don't like the political system, if you like the political system, it's probably because you're involved or not involved. Be involved. See, this is great. Then maybe I don't want to vote so that if somebody asks for my opinion and I don't want to get in a heated debate on politics, I just say, you know what? I didn't vote. So yeah. I can't contribute. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's 
it's not the way we need to do this. This is America. We've got to get involved in your mayoral race. If you don't like who's running for mayor, run, Terry. No. Literal, literally. I don't want that job. Oh, I thought you meant just run, like get out of the state those, or something. Those city council meetings are boring. You know, I know that is the truth. Oh, you guys, it's not a, about fun. We're going to float a bond so we can build a bridge. Well, come on, just do the bridge. I mean, people fighting over things that really should happen. You know what I mean? Well, but a bridge, maybe it's a bridge too far. No, it's, you know? a, it's a bridge. The silver lining, though, I mean, you mentioned your wife listens to your voice uh, when she wants to go to sleep. And, you know, <laughs> one person, another person Did, might listen to a city council meeting to go to sleep. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I don't know that I've ever said my you, wife. You listen. did say that last week. I promise you. Wow, okay. that was rude of me. See what happens. She doesn't mean to sleep. She just says she can't stand listening to me. In a loving way, she says that. It's, yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. And then she pats me on the head and says, "Night, night. Keep talking." <laughs> hey, today we're going to be also talking about seasonal affective disorder (SADS). It's called. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us, walking us through, uh, and so you can do a little. You know, self-diagnosis if you have the winter blues, because now with daylight savings, maybe it's getting dark. In fact, yesterday I was leaving. I was in the middle of a meeting and I noticed how dark it was outside. And I'm thinking, this is sad. Hmm. I've got all the rest of this winter. It's really weird to look out the window at five o'clock and think, shouldn't we be going to bed right now? Yeah. Do you remember? The whole last night, my wife kept saying, it's only six o'clock. It's only eight thirty. What is going on? But I was tired by eight thirty. Like yeah. I guess because it was nine thirty. But I'm, I'm starting to feel old, and I think it's old winter blues coming in. Hmm. So you guys might have to carry it more. So I get to work when it's dark, and I leave work when it's dark. Isn't that a great feeling? No. Oh. Oh, you mean I, you leave your practice when it's dark? Yeah. I was gonna say you're only here till two or so. But I sleep all the way out of here. I sleep all the way to my office, my other <laughs> office. It's a hard life. Hey, I hope you're having a good day. Um, we got a lot of headlines to get to, of course. We'll also be visiting with our brethren from BYU Sports Nation. We want to find out what they're going to do about a quarterback for BYU, because if they need somebody, I'll volunteer. I gave you the names. Yeah. These are the people in the quarterback competition. It's a, it's a, quarter, it's a quarterback competition, uh, but who will get the rose? Will it be Hogue, Critchlow, or Willstead? Somebody's got to get a rose. Hmm. And somebody is... Why is this turning into The Bachelor? Why not? Or Bachelorette. Either way. I'm not sure how these shows work. I don't, I don't know either. But okay. I think we've got to make it exciting. Something's got to be exciting for BYU football. When you're 2-8... and eight, Can't they just are hold... They, are they 2-8? and eight? Yes. Yeah, they have two wins. They've already played 10 games? Yes. They only That's have three more. season. <laughs> and they still have what? How many more? Three, uh, three, four? three. Can't they just do what they did in that movie Invincible with Mark Wahlberg where they hold like this open audition where anybody can just come and try out? Yeah. I guess you have to be a student here. Yeah. That helps. Well, I and mean, you have to I think they're looking at me. The honor they, I think they are looking at me to play maybe. Well, there's eligibility mm. rules and you might be a little bit outside that window. Maybe a lot. What window would I be outside of? Physical ability to play the game? Window? Wow. Yeah, sorry about that. You said it. You you had to say it. Yeah. It's, you know, reality. Yeah. Can you throw a football? Yeah. Beyond 10 yards. Hold on. I can't throw like a college football. Oh, okay. 
but one of those beyond many... ten. I could throw college football along. Does it look like a triangle as it's floating yeah. through yeah. the air, like a wounded duck like of a, some kind? Yeah. Okay. But if you go to the next league down, the the next smaller, so like ball, the, the mini football, or maybe not the, not the mini uh, above ner- the mini a Nerf turbo no, football above the that yeah. maybe has a whistle on it. Oh, Might have a whistle. Those are fun. Yeah, and a I, I didn't get the ones when they put like a tail on the end of the, oh, the football. Yeah. Oh. I didn't get that one, but the turbo That's, I could do that. Yeah, we we dump it in water and then throw it at each other. Oh, that sounds it fun. Because we go smack. It's no amount of games. manufacturing Sorry. from the Nerf company could get me to throw a football with a perfect spiral. Really? I just can't do it. Man. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll show you after. I, I weaponized the football. We'd, we'd play tag, you'd <laughs> See, call it. See, this is why BYU can't find a good quarterback. Because well, you guys yeah. didn't take it serious. Yeah, we didn't. I probably messed up my arm, too. <sighs> it was What's fun. Happening? What's happening? Let's get to the headlines, then. Uh, Terry, what else is going on that we should be paying attention to? So first off, as you said, today's election day. If you haven't already, get on vote. Get out and vote. Now, I voted by mail, so I don't get so my ribbon I. candy, I don't get my I know. sticker. But, Nothing. You know. So we don't even know that you did vote. Wait, but there was candy involved? If you go oh, to the polling place, a lot of times there's a person there with candy. See? They will hook you up. Doesn't the uh, school cafeteria, isn't she the one administering the uh, the ballot to you? It depends on where you go. Sometimes hmm. mine's the public library, sometimes it's City yeah. Hall. But usually they're separate people. The cafeteria lady... She's and busy. then the pollster. Yeah. You get the you get the ballot with a side of mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh wow! Yikes! Um, the shooter's name went unspoken at a news conference on the killings at a church in Sutherland, Texas, on uh, or Sutherland Spring, Texas. The authorities said they they intend to keep refraining from saying it. Yeah. We do not want to glorify him and what he's done. Texas Department of Public Safety Regional Director Freeman Martin said on Monday at the briefing. FBI Special Agent in Charge Christopher Combs agreed, saying we don't talk about the shooter in hopes that it doesn't encourage other people to do horrific acts. The choice reflects a larger movement of authorities, victims, families, and academics who want to deny to mass killers the fame they often seek and to keep from inspiring the next one. The message, don't hide information, but don't hype it. Report the name of a shooter when it's first release and re- released and then leave it out. Okay. So establish, yeah, here's the person. I like that. We don't I, need to say yeah. it anymore. And it's probably, honestly, it's better for his family. It's better for everyone. We don't need to know. And in this case, there isn't going to be a legal case going forward, so we won't hear yeah. about it pretty much yeah. going down That's the road. That's better. So. While visiting the U.S. and South Korea, troops uh, troops stationed at Camp Humphreys on Tuesday, President Trump repeatedly offered reassurance that the situation with North Korea will, quote, work out. Will all work out. It'll all work It'll out. It'll work out in the end. After having have lunch with the troops and a show of solidarity, the president commended them as very impressive. This out of the Associated Press. Trump told reporters he planned to broach the subject of North Korea with South Korean military generals. He said it will all work out because it always work out, works out. It has to work out. The visit to South Korea marks the second stop on the 12-day tour. This, so it has to work out. This well, is what I tell my wife every time we are looking at our budget or trying to figure it, out who's, who's going to clean this room. Oh, it'll work itself out. <laughs> it no, always works, works itself out. <laughs> Uh, more Trump uh, on his uh, Asian trip news. Uh, President Trump told a gathering of Japanese officials at a state banquet that after he won last year's election, he was amazed to find out how many countries existed in the world. <laughs> Tr- Trump began his speech by extolling the virtues of golf diplomacy and talking at length about a U.S. Open tournament in 1980 when a Japanese golfer and American Jack Nicklaus put on one of the greatest displays of putting anyone has ever seen. That wow. Is true. That is true. Was it? Uh, Trump then recounted the beginnings of his relationship with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, which he said got off to quite a rocky start. If you remember, 
during the election, uh, Trump questioned uh, our relationship with Japan. Yeah. Why are we protecting them? Why don't they get their own bombs? Why are we, prote- you know, that kind of thing? Uh-huh, and it's like uh-huh. well, we have treaties, and it's yeah. been this way since World War II. We don't need but- everyone to have bombs. All right. So uh, he goes, I never, I never ran, so I wasn't very experienced. Meaning he never ran for office right. before, so he wasn't right. experienced. He trying know. to say it. And yeah. all so Trump told the guests, explaining how he was unfamiliar with the conventions of public office. He goes, after I had won, everyone was calling me from all over the world. I never knew we had so many countries. <laughs> this is this the the yeah. world is big. <laughs> that's, that's a direct quote. That's not like that's out of like context, well, that's but. like his other quote about the ocean is really big. Yeah, it's profound. Yeah, good learnings. Um, maybe we're not teaching our kids the right way. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's. But he 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 went to. An Ivy League school. Well, he also lived right. in New York. All you got to do is walk the streets of New York, and you're like, man, well, well, this is this. There's a lot of people has, on this earth. He has a car service. Just oh, turn true. on an episode of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. That'll help you with your geography. <laughs> like, wow. Maybe less Fox News, more Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> Just saying. In honor for our uh, our visit here by Dr. Ron Hager coming yeah. up about health and what to He's eat, what not evangelist. to eat, how, yeah. to, how to fix ailments, all that stuff. Um, I like to go with food that you probably either either unique food or food you probably shouldn't eat. Like grasshoppers. Those are coming up, by the way. Okay. Um, so um, the most expensive taco in the world. Oh. <gasps> reportedly costs $25,000. <sighs> wow. Why? It's a, uh, a chef in Mexico put together a shrimp, Kobe beef, almost... Buglia, I can't even say caviar, black mm. truffle brie cheese, and mm. 24 karat gold flakes. Even the corn tortilla has <laughs> 24 karat gold flakes. Why would you want? Down. I like. Just leave the a Kobe of, beef. Let's lot, just go there. A lot of the, the, the expense on these, they, they're probably not that expensive. No. Relatively speaking, I guess. And then you toss in the gold flakes. It's a burrito just supreme with some gold flakes. Right. So there you go. It's actually 497,000 pesos if you're counting. How many calories? You have to put down a $12,500 deposit so they can start making the taco what? and then the rest wow. of the payment to eat it. What is the carrot weight of the burrito? It's a taco. But of the taco, of the said sure. taco. This is 24 wow. carat gold flakes in the taco and baked into the corn tortilla. $25,000. Okay. Am I missing something? Like, what? You're, you're going to eat... Yeah. The taco. This is true, yes. You will then uh, digest the taco. This is true. You will then use the taco restroom, <laughs> and you have then lost has its, all of your investment. The restroom has a $10,000 charge to it as well. Because I don't understand people. Uh, in, in Atlanta, at the mm. Phillips Arena, I believe this is where the Atlanta Hawks play, Yeah, uh, they have started serving... Um, what's the name here? Crickets. What? They have tacos made with crickets on the menu. Apparently, the crickets didn't really did really well crackos. at Seattle Mariners games. So the NBA's uh, Atlanta Hawks are giving them a try. One man tried the six leg snack in front of our cameras, as this TV station is saying, and he described them as savory like sunflower seeds and crispy like chips. Hmm. They're healthy, is what it says. High in protein and ecologically sustainable. Yeah. Which is the quality I look for in my tacos. Is it sustainable? What I always ask is, is this ecologically sustainable? 
Yes. But so people really want to order these again? It's probably a one-time sort of unique thing, and then maybe if you like it, maybe you do it again. Dad, we're going to go to the game, and I want to eat one of those tacos made of crickets. You could have gotten a dozen front row seats at the, the Dodger game. Yeah. At the World Game 7 of the World Series for that price. Okay. Uh, the first new candy bar to carry the Hershey's name in more than two decades. Oh, wow. Will be out uh, this is big next news. month. So will be out in November. Okay. So some point this month. Hershey's putting out their Hershey Gold, they call it. Go on uh, sale December 1st. Described as a caramelized cream bar embedded with salty peanuts and pretzel bits. Oh. See, now that sounds good. There's no chocolate in this. Is there, and there's bar. no gold in it. Right. Which is even better. It'll be the fourth flavor from the brand and its first new one since Hershey's introduced cookies and cream in 1995. That's going to be a good one because it has salt in it and pretzels. And finally, for Thanksgiving, yes, this company has ice cream, right? But Thanksgiving flavored ice cream. Oh no, let's not do turkey that. ice cream. You got to have ice cream with the pie, right? That's how Thanksgiving works. Right. So when okay. I have Thanksgiving flavored, you know, ice cream. Really? A sweet potato casserole with maple pecans ice cream. Oh, that sounds good. I'd try that. What are you talking about? Buttered mashed potatoes and gravy ice cream. (sighs) Oh, that's worse. I just made potatoes the other day, and I don't want that. Apple cranberry stuffing ice cream. Mm. Apple cranberry might be okay. I can get that. But then you turn it into bread. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Salted caramel Thanksgiving turkey. No. Ice cream. <laughs> meat meat ice cream? See, now the sweet potato ice cream doesn't sound so bad. Turkey stock is cooked and mixed with sugar spices and onions down until it bubbles into a caramel or caramel, which creates the base for the salted caramel ice cream. And Salt and Straw, which is the company, also roasts turkey skin until it's crispy and then candy coat it to mix the bits of that into the ice cream. Have you bits ever, of candy uh, coated turkey skin. Have you ever sat down at Thanksgiving and thought, you know... If only this turkey tasted cold and creamy, it'd really sit well with me. <laughs> no. With a nice caramel and nougat center. And the no. final one is spiced goat cheese and pumpkin pie. Oh. No. No. No? You're Take out the that? goat cheese and I'm okay. What have you got against goats? Why would you put goat cheese on a pumpkin pie? Why wouldn't you? All right. It starts with goat cheese ice cream, which is sprinkled with pumpkin pie spices, but the generous helping of mashed pumpkin folded and swirled, it really steals the show as the marketing goes. Okay. That's a person that's never milked a goat <laughs> right there. <laughs> I have milked a goat. I'm not wanting their cheese or their ice cream. Just a nice vanilla will work with your pumpkin pie? Why can't you just eat your meal, mm. then have your pumpkin pie? Yeah. Which is like well, how much more efficient yams. would it be if you take your whole meal, put it into a blender, and just drink it? You wouldn't spend hours doing the dishes afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Everyone would just have a cup. Anybody <laughs> want want me to top off your cup? <laughs> no, Grandma. Because whatever you blend, it always turns a color of brown. You could just have that for dinner, and everyone just drinks Thanksgiving dinner. At least you didn't say yeah. like the uh, the green bean and onion casserole ice cream. But you know, someone's tried to work that in. So. Oh. You remember Ben used to uh, work here on the show, and he had an ice cream company, That's and he right. was making customized ice creams like that. 
and he gave well, not me like that. well, like he did a balsamic vinegar. Oh yeah, he was trying to be all. Yeah, was that good? Trendy. Uh, that one. Which uh, ones did you try? I tried. I can't remember now. It was. It was really good though. Didn't he have a oh. banana ice cream? No, he, he, like, he cream. tried like really creative stuff. Like it was balsamic vinegar and bread. I don't. I don't remember. Do you remember the name of the ice cream company or product? It wasn't Can it really be sold some... in stores. He, he no, has it's online. His. We ought to really look it up because yeah. I, I bet he's. I bet it's huge now. Maybe he's responsible for the turkey. Didn't he go back to Hawaii? Maybe uh, he'll do a. Maybe he'll do a spam ice cream. Ah. Uh, then we could get some for our next guest, Dr. Ron Hager. That guy puts more spam away per pound than any other nutritional expert on earth. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about seasonal affective disorder. Does this time of year, does it tend to get you down? Do you get the winter blues? Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist, is up next to help you walk through uh, how to... Uh, how to heal through the healthy or through the winter time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Are you ready for a miracle? Are you ready for a miracle? We want a miracle. Who better to bring it than Dr. Ron Hager, who's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. Dr. Ron, thanks for being here. My pleasure. And uh, you having a healthy, good life? So far. Yeah, I, I will tell you, I would never purchase or eat a $25,000 taco. Okay, That's... tell me this, Doc. <laughs> uh, what do you think? It can't be good to eat gold. It can't be good for your... I mean, I'm assuming it just passes through. That's what I would think, too. Well, and I guess you could absorb... I mean, I used to... I, I mean, there are... I mean, eat pe- dirt. I mean, people can have metal toxicities. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're allergic to 24 karat gold, you probably ought not be. Yeah, maybe so. I, yeah, I I don't know what the. I mean, that's just an extreme thing, yeah. right? And you know, and then there's all the talk about the the foods that that have you know food flavorings that yeah. they're using in ice cream, you know, turkey ice cream right. or whatever. And, and I mean, it's kind of funny. It's kind know? of gross. And and maybe it sounds a little gross. I'm sure somebody's I, like, oh, I'll take that. I have to. I I would I would. Bet you a twenty-five thousand dollar taco, though, that the the food science researchers have ensured that that food is so tasty that you don't want to stop eating it, even yeah. though it sounds gross. Yeah. If you can get if if you can make yourself taste it, I'll bet you'll think I'll have more. Of that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it so the real question is why, right? Why 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 are they making Thanksgiving flavored ice creams? You it's know, because or, the conversation's so bad that we have a thing. Maybe. Like, so it's, we make the highlight the food, not the company. Yeah. Well, and the company's just trying to figure out a way to come up with a gimmick yeah. to make money. The next hook. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's, I guess that's business right there. Now, I had a student once in my chronic disease prevention class. She was from you know, deep areas of southern Mexico. And uh, she wasn't Mexican. She was Indian. Huh. And she talked to us. Uh, she she raised her hand one day in class and told us about crickets. Yeah. That they eat. And they take these these nets that they make and they walk in the tall grass and holding these big nets. And as Just, the crickets jump up, they come into the, the net and then, they, and then they, they roast them. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess they kind of fry them. They put them in some grease and fry them in a pan, and and then it, it also kind of preserves them, so they last forever. And and I said, wow, that's that's interesting. I don't know if I could eat that. Yeah. And then the next class period, she brought a bag of those to class. Did you and try them? I did. did what did you think? I did. Um, it... It was, uh, and even a few students tried them too. A couple students. You, you got to try it. Yeah, Everybody should try yeah, it. A couple students gagged on them. Yeah. I actually took some home. Uh, I think pretty much, I think everybody in my family tried them, but I tried them and I liked them. They, they, they were. They're just, it's the salt that, don't they salt them a little bit? Sure, sure. You got to. Yeah, and they, and they were tasty, but I still felt like I was eating a cricket. That's the problem. It's, it's the mental thing you got to so, get over. Yeah, so. So because that's not the way I was raised, that's not my culture, I had a hard time with the mental thing. So even though I would be very thankful if I was starving to death for those crickets, I don't keep eating them. No. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You may – some people may not be used to puffed rice or puffed – Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't eat those. Um, Today, though, we're going to talk about seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. It's kind of that time of year. Uh, You know, this is a – not a very prevalent thing. I mean, there are – not to say there aren't people who aren't affected by it, but it's a it's a fairly small percentage of the population. Uh, but there are people who are affected by this condition called seasonal affective disorder, and it um, it's a type of depression basically that's uh, related to the changes in the seasons. Hmm. There are other variations of it too. Uh, there are other types of affective disorders, but even people who live in certain areas of the country or the world where you know it's cloudy, rainy, kind of what you might call gloomy weather. Like a Portland, a Seattle, where yeah. they might see more rain, or England yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah, so there's even even cases where, you know, it's it's more just an environmental type of yeah. a condition as opposed to a seasonal thing. But but certainly when the seasons change, like they are now, the days get shorter, there's less sunlight, it does become more stormy, more cloudy, more cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you kind of... Uh, in fact, there's even been some researchers recently that have identified... Uh, genetic links uh, in in humans and hibernating animals. Really? And and they say that, uh, you know, uh, some people may have this, uh, you know, not need to hibernate, but this inclination or this feeling to kind of shut down. During in, this season. During this season. And, and it usually results in eating more and weight gain and more lethargy yeah. and, and less social interaction. And... I have that like nine months of the year. <laughs> yes. It's a really bad thing. But you can almost see that, right? Like, Because yeah. like we were talking about earlier, I show up at work, it's dark. Yeah. Then I leave here, go to my other office, see clients, and I leave work when it's dark. Yeah. And you, other than that, I'm just in a room. I, you know, I, I've, I've related to this too. I, uh, but, but it's kind of the opposite. Um, I actually feel uh, kind of good in in the dark, or I, or when I feel like things are closing in a little bit. Mm. Uh, I, I don't have this this claustrophobia. Yeah. I don't I don't have this this idea of of you know the gloomy kind of things. To me, it's like I don't know. Maybe it's an opportunity to to hide or yeah. something like that. But but I will say, you know, part of this has to do with something called circadian rhythms. It's sort of the body's mm-hmm. internal clock, and you have a a rhythm and the seasons change and it kind of disrupts your rhythm. But I know almost from as early as I can remember, um, when the sun goes down, I feel like I want to go to bed. 
You know, I, yeah, it's, it's like it's like I'm tired. Let's do it. And when the sun comes up, I, I can't sleep in. I, I can't I can't sleep, you know, for hours during the daylight. Yeah. So 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 I I know I'm kind of geared towards the sun myself. I, I guess that's the way probably we all should be. I mean, isn't that our nature? You think would gear us sure. You know, be alive and awake when the sun's up. Yeah, if you think about times past, anciently, you know, when there wasn't electricity, when there wasn't sort of this artificial forms of light. Right. I mean, obviously you had candles and lamps and things like that, but but maybe even before that, yeah. you know, you w- when the sun went down, I mean, everything basically stopped. And when the sun came up, everything started again. But we, we've been, and there, there's some evidence of this too in the research, some of the results of some of the research to show that, you know, this this sort of artificial environment that's been created around us in, in terms of work hours and, and light versus darkness mm. and, and even patterns of eating and sleeping, that, that it, it can interfere with these internal rhythms that we have. And in some people, not everybody, but in some people, it, it brings on a depressive state. Now, how do we know if we have seasonal affective disorder? Uh, that's a great, what are the signs? That's a great question. And there's, there's, there's a few, but, you know, th- there's a you know, a doctor could actually give you an official diagnosis, but you could get a very good idea of, of a self-diagnosis. Uh, you know, just for example, depending on how you'd respond to something like the question, I feel down in cloudy days without sunlight. Hmm. You know, do you, you know, you'd have to sort of reflect and say, you know, is my mood does depressed? Does it alter or something? Me, yeah. yeah, does it alter you? Um, or if you feel moody more often in winter than other times of the year. So, you know, it requires you to kind of be aware to, of what's going on in your life. Uh, but even if it's kind of a cold day outside, is it more of a challenge for you to get out of bed in the mornings? Hmm. Uh, you know, and that's and that's kind of interesting because yeah. I, I know in the winter when it's when it's cold in our house, you know, the thermostat's been turned down, and you know, you can, as soon as you as soon as the blanket comes off of you a little bit, you know, you feel that chill, and it's Woo. like, whoa, I want to pull that blanket back up and stay right. in bed. Um, so you know, it's not any one of these things, but it's probably you know, a combination of these things, uh, more of them than not. Uh, if there's no bright sunlight outside, you know, do you feel less energy? Do you feel more drained? You know, these kinds of things. Um, if cold weather makes you sleepy. Yeah. You know, you know, and a lot of times it's like, you know, if it's a rainy, cloudy, cold day, you're just like, ah, I just feel like taking a nap. You know, I just want to curl up in a blanket and, you know, watch TV till I fall asleep. Right. You know, th- that can actually be a, a sign or a symptom of of possibly being susceptible to seasonal affective defo- disorder, um, hopelessness is is kind of a a broad term that applies to almost all forms of depression. But if that hopelessness is brought on by say the winter months, hmm. you know, then that then that could be a sign or a symptom. You can see how this could be really for somebody that's suffering from this. This could be like this could tip them over. Yeah, this could be very disabling for a bit. Yeah, it it, it certainly can be, and it is especially because it sneaks up on you. Yeah, and it is for some people. And you know, from the and I'm not an expert in this area, but I've read some of the research. And what fascinates me is it's almost like a switch. Yeah, it, it's like a, it's like a season changes, and 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 you know, in a given day, mm-hmm. this switch goes off in a person, and all of a sudden they have seasonal affective disorder. And then if they make it through the season. Then, then, then there's a, a day a switch when, on. when the season ends, at least yeah. in their in their mind, and then the switch goes off and it's gone. I've seen clients that know they have SADS and they they even have and take some of the measures that you need to take, and yet 
they'll come and talk to me about their depression and they don't understand why they have this depression. Then I'll say, do you have seasonal affective disorder? And it, it, then it dawns on them that it's that because yeah. it snuck up so quietly yeah. on them. And some it even it – could, it could actually be – I've seen it actually happen earlier. Yeah. Like a, a really bad September with a lot of storms sure. starts it earlier. Yeah. And like like we said at the beginning, that you know there are people who suffer from this that live in certain parts of the country where, you know, there's a lot of rain, a lot of clouds, yeah. where you know there's actually more cloudy days than there are sunny days, and and people suffer from this, and it's a, and it's a real problem. I'm glad. I mean, I don't feel like I have it, so I'm yeah. I'm very thankful for that because as I've talked to people who do have it, as I've learned more about it, uh, you know, I I, I feel bad yeah, for it's those hard. people, but but there are some really uh, effective. Uh, treatment strategies. What do we, what do we do if we if we sense we're there? Well, one of the probably the most common kind of first line uh, approach to treatment is uh, something called light therapy or phototherapy, and they actually make these what are they, what are called light boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fairly large, a lot of them. Although some are small and built for built for travel, they're very portable. But some are more, you know, like you you have it in your office or your house, and and it's a bright light that simulates. Sunlight. It doesn't necessarily put off a lot of heat. That's not what it's about. It's just the light, and and you follow some kind of a prescribed regimen where you flip this light on and you sit in front of it. Uh, might you have know, your breakfast in front of yeah, it. Yeah, for you an might hour. Work or two. at your desk. Yeah, uh, I, I, a lot of people wear uh, kind of sunglasses uh, or keep their eyes closed because it is a fairly bright light. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't go outside and look directly in the right. sun. You wouldn't look directly in these lights for this light therapy either. And and I, I almost found it humorous, but of course, researchers will study anything. So so they studied the effect of light, these light boxes or light therapy. And, and it's been shown to be effective for many people, not mm. everyone, but for most. Yeah. They get, they get some relief from seasonal affective disorder. But then there's follow-up research to say, are light boxes bad for your eyes? You know, oh, or, interesting. Or, yeah. or, or so, is light therapy bad it. for your eyes? Yeah. You know, so there's always... There's always, you know, the potential side effect or something right. like that. Yeah, but but light light therapy is a good one, and it actually mimics the natural outdoor light, and so it, it can, uh, believe it or not, even change brain chemicals related to mood. Uh, for example, one of the suspected causes of seasonal affective disorder is um, ser- serotonin levels dropping. Yeah, uh, serotonin is a is a, a neurotransmitter, a brain chemical uh, that can affect mood. And and it, it's been shown that that it might play a role in this seasonal affective disorder. Reduced sunlight in some people can actually cause a drop in serotonin levels, huh. which can trigger depression. Yeah, that so, makes sense. so you expose a person to light, even if it's artificial, it keeps those serotonin levels up, and it it helps to prevent the depression. So so the light box is is one way to treat it. What are other ways that we can well, treat it? Well, you know, there are typical you know antidepressant kinds of approaches that are. Uh, you know, pharmacological in nature. You can, uh, you know, it, it, usually those are only prescribed if symptoms are pretty severe. Right. Uh, and and they can be. You know, depression is a is a real condition. It can be extremely disabling. Uh, you know, so it, it ranges from you know very mild, almost uh, unnoticeable, to very severe, where a person just literally cannot function. Uh, sometimes for days, weeks, or even months at a time. Hmm. Uh, so so there are. Uh, antidepressant medication type treatments, but there's also psychotherapy, uh, which is sometimes known as talk therapy, uh, where where you get into kind of the, at, the the cognitive aspects of something. You get you get people talking, uh, relating to 
uh, positive versus negative triggers and helping them identify them. And, and you know, an expert uh, psychotherapist would basically talk a person through this. And, uh, and even group psychotherapy has been shown to be helpful. You get a group of people who suffer from the same condition, they can find strength uh, in, a, in their associations. And as they work, work on problems and solutions to their problems, uh, you know, they, they can be helped that way. Yeah. But there are some th- – those are the, the, probably the three typical approaches. But some experts have tried – other, I guess what you might call non-typical approaches to treatment, and I really like these, uh, exercise. Yeah. Uh, I mean, e- exercise has been show, shown to help with all forms of depression. Yeah, it's just as effective in many cases as any med they could give you. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's a big one. Uh, plus, there's a lot of other benefits associated with exercise beyond sort of the mental health right. side of it. I mean, there's the cardiovascular side. I mean, reducing risk of so many of the chronic diseases that we've talked about uh, over the years. So ex- exercise is a good one. But and, and another cool thing is exercise has been shown to have acute effects. So after a single bout of exercise, people have responded very positively and wow. been significantly less yeah. depressed. Now, obviously, the goal would be to make that a routine, a pattern in your yeah. life, uh, to get outside. So, you know, there, there, are, there are times when the sun is shining. You know, take advantage of those times as much as you can. Uh, you know, obviously, seasonal affective disorder is more of a wintertime condition. So, you know, make sure you're prepared for it. Get the right clothes. Figure out ways to be outside and still be able to enjoy mm. it. Now, if you're just going to go outside and freeze to death, that's no fun. No, that'll be miserable. Yeah, that'll be miserable. And then miserable. you won't keep doing it. Right. Uh, also, keep a regular schedule. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is pretty critical uh, because of the circadian rhythm, this internal clock that you have. So, you know, eat and sleep and work and meet all your other responsibilities with some kind of a pattern regardless of what the season is. Uh, in other words, so don't, don't let the season change your pattern. Yeah. Uh, and this is probably one of my favorites. Take a vacation. Oh, Obviously, yeah. not everybody can do this, but go someplace that's warmer, sunnier, you know, for a week or whatever, or even just a few days. If you can do that, uh, that's actually been shown to be effective, too. And I, I mean, I know when it's, you know, the dead of winter here where we live. You know, Might be the best time to get out of here. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if you, if you could go to, say, San Diego or something, even if it's just for a few days. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that could really help. Um Keeping a journal so that you can relate to triggers and negative feelings. Oh, there you go, yeah. So you can reflect. And the, and the research on this shows that the best time to write in your journal is at night so that you have time to reflect on the day uh-huh. and go to bed having feeling like you've, you've generated some solutions to your problems. Yeah, and then you when can, you wake up, you, don't, you, you feel fresh. You, f- you feel like you're starting something new as opposed to continuing. And you can wrap up your day. That's cool. Yeah. And then there's also a vitamin D supplement. Uh, you know, is an idea that's, that sometimes is prescribed. Low levels of vitamin D have actually been linked to seasonal affective disorder. So that might be a pick-me-up. Yeah, and, and some research has shown that those who took a vitamin D supplement had significant improvement in their depression symptoms. And, you know, sunlight is related to vitamin D. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so getting a little sunlight can be helpful. And then I, I really like this one too. Uh, you know, plan social events and to attend social events. So you want get to be, out. Yeah, so you want to be proactive and and you want to make make time for these sorts of things so that you can stay pos- b- busy with positive interactions instead of you know so that cuz it could almost feed on itself huh that you're yeah. already depressed you don't want to go out right right and then you don't go out then you feel guilty cuz i never go out and i should have gone out to that party and right so pretty soon you're kind of in this hibernation mode yeah. right where you just want to crawl into the cave of your bedroom and stay there and never come out again yeah 
Yeah, so be proactive and be social. Engage with friends, uh, coworkers. You know, it, it's also a time of year when there's a lot of opportunity for social interactions, you know, through the winter All the months. holidays, huh? Yeah, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. We have a chili cookout tonight. Do you? So I'm going to try to get my nitrites up. There you go. Nitrates <laughs> or nitrites, I think both Good. of them. Good. <laughs> so, well, this is good advice. I appreciate it. What do you? Um, any any last bit of? Uh, what's the What's the one thing? If there was one thing we could do and remember about seasonal affective disorder, what should we remember? Well, you know, as a if you were a person who had seasonal affective disorder, uh, you know, you might feel like you're kind of a victim, right? But I think one of the biggest keys is there are other people who know you. And they can see, you know, if your mood is up or down. Yeah. So I say, as as a as a person outside looking in, look for opportunities to help and lift other people. So great. I, I think that could make a huge difference right there. Absolutely. And and let's conquer it together. Yeah. You don't have to do it by yourself. Dr. Ron Hager is his name. He is the health evangelist. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences right here on uh, campus at BYU. And we uh, we get him every other week to uh, pick his brain and see if he can't make us healthier and happier. We'll continue the journey. BYU Sports Nation is up next. Welcome back, friends. Oh, you got to love this music. It's time that the music means it's time to go down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Spencer and Jason are holding down the fort. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Uh, is Benny Hill still with us, by the way? I don't know. He's maybe I'm he's thinking not. But I, I don't, we'll I don't want to put somebody in the grave. Jeff before. is looking him up. Um, nope. May he rest in peace. He's not. Oh. Okay. He's up in those. He's up in that great uh, mm-hmm. Benny Hill. He uh, he. What was that, Jeffrey? Twenty five years ago, he oh, died. Wow! Wow! Yeah, Where was yeah. I? I, I, well, you were probably just being born. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate that. So young and fresh. Um, <laughs> here's the question, boys. Uh, apparently, there is a. There's now a quarterback battle. Yeah, baby. Competition. A, a competition. Matt. Who now? Here's what I wonder because somebody brought this up earlier. Why don't we? Why don't we open up uh, a, a, a practice to anybody that wants to come try out? And maybe there just happens to be a pro style offense quarterback somewhere on campus. BYU's already done that. It's called the walk on tryout. Did they do it? How yep. did a, anything happen there? Nope. <laughs> Darn it! But they do have a pro style quarterback. Who was raised from the football womb as Whoa. a pro-style quarterback in who? Joe Critchlow. Joe Critchlow. And he yeah. was redshirting, and they pulled him out of redshirting, and he's he's had a couple games of eligibility. Correct. And so, he is listed as an or in this week's quarterback depth chart. Bo Hodge or Joe Critchlow. Okay. So we're down to two. And then now two. we're throwing in Cody Wilstead, who's oh. currently redshirting, as a possibility— oh. That's at least going to be given the option. But now, or excuse me, not the option, the opportunity. So a redshirting job. They'd only pull the redshirt if he played. He can practice. Yes, you can practice as a redshirt. Practice all you want as okay. a redshirt. You just can't play okay. in a sanctioned game. Yeah, that's so. Uh, who, well, you guys have been watching this happen. Who who are you? Who are you leaning on? Who Bo do you Hodge. think? Bo Hodge. Really? Yeah. If Bo Hodge is, I don't know, seventy five or eighty percent or better, he's going to be the. Guy. It's, it's got to be Bo Hodge. But don't they have to keep like? Doesn't Bo start to wander away from the huddle, and they have to grab him and bring him back because of his head injury? 
Um, well, we're hoping that that's okay. The bigger concern for him is the ankle. Ah. He was hobbled by that, no. which happened in the Utah State game on top of you know, the uh, assumed head injuries that he was dealing with. So, I don't know. He didn't look right against Fresno State. He, he seemed hobbled. A hobbled Hodge. And that's not good for him because he makes most of his plays with his legs. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the mobility factor with him is one big reason why you want to have a guy like Bo Hodge. Right. So if, if, that's, if that's not an option or that's limited, then it, then it certainly changes things. No, we totally. Might see both, Matthew. This could be fun. I think we're overlooking the real question, though. What? What's the greatest Nicolas Cage movie ever? <laughs> <laughs> Seamless transition, by the way. Raising Arizona. Oh, see, it took us a minute to remember Raising Arizona. Is that the greatest? Yeah, that 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 was. I, I'm pretty sure that goes down as the greatest of all time. What about Gone in sixty seconds? No, I Jeff still maintain says no. Con Air. Memphis reigns in Gone in sixty seconds. Uh, Je- Jeff also says Matchstick Men. Never saw it. It's probably. Oh no no no! Is that the one that has uh, Sam uh, Rockwell in it? Sam Rockwell, he gives okay, you the thumbs up. I did see it. Up. Never mind. I saw it. I think um, Treasure, what's it, uh, National Treasure. It was decent. <laughs> Entertaining, right? Yeah. Ty Burrell's in that movie. Um, <laughs> does, He's the White House curator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> How do you know that? Because I've seen it. Yeah. But you, yeah. Um, I think we're, we're, we're forgetting the fact of the almost Nicolas Cage movie that probably would have gone down as his greatest role. Oh, boy. Which one? Superman lives. <laughs> really? He was Superman, and they had. If you've never seen this, there is actually a documentary on the failed Superman Lives movie. If you have not seen no, it, I highly I recommend you checking it out. Is that like on Netflix? Um, it may be on Netflix now, but it, it was on just you get on YouTube. Yeah, but it was the costume that they had for Nicolas Cage as Superman Ooh. was insane. Really? Oh, you got to check this out. If Honestly, you're in Google, Google Nicolas Cage okay. uh, Superman right now. I want your instant reaction okay. when you see okay. this picture. Okay, I'm doing it, it. Is it is unbelievable? I'm so glad that movie was not made. I didn't know that you were this big of a costume fan. No, I'm a Superman fan, and I'm glad okay. that that movie was not made. <laughs> oh, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She looks gorgeous. <laughs> She's got really long hair. Oh, it's Nicolas Cage. When I, I, I think closer. that that was around the time that Con Air was being filmed. Yeah, that was the so Con Air. The <laughs> that is, oh, that's actually not right. Yeah, okay. Don't, you guys, nobody, nobody do that. That was shocking. Nicholas Cage with a long it's kind of a mix between Katy Perry and Nicholas Cage mm-hmm. and Superman. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's I wish something. I could do a Nicholas Cage impersonation. I think you could just try it. I want to hear Yeah. That's funny. My name's Roger. <laughs> Two Rogers don't make it right. <laughs> it's not bad. That's pretty good. That really is pretty good. Now, um, oh my heavens. It, I just uh, stole fifty cars. I'm a little amped up. I think we should all just go home. <laughs> That's really good, and you you're overacting, so that's pretty good. Um, you've got you've got ten seconds to tell me what's on your show in four minutes. Um, well, we're going to talk a lot about that quarterback situation that you brought up. That's my quarterback. <laughs> Don't know who Water it is, boy. but that's what we're okay. going to talk about. Okay. Okay, that's good. Are you going to do more Nicholas Cage impressions? No, hopefully not. Also, Jamal Williams had an NFL first. Matt Townsend. <gasps> 
What? We'll talk about that. Oh, I'm going to listen. Okay, that's straight ahead. You guys, go get busy and uh, nobody look up Nicolas Cage Superman. Don't do it. Now we have to wait again until tomorrow to figure out why they met my oh, in-laws. We man. forgot. We have got – you producers need to remind me. <laughs> I'm never going to remember that. You, you will remember it, it You wrote it down. I know, but I wrote it on the paper that then you they took. You wrote it down and then you recycled it. And then I recycled that paper. Wow. Uh, that was they a real, took. You took. Don't, don't you think that was a really good um, – that was a good impression. Wasn't bad. Cage. I mean, wasn't bad. I mean, you have to just overact. Oh yeah. But boy, that picture of Superman! I'll nobody never get does, that out of my head. Nobody does crazy like Nicolas Cage. No. Well, eh. Hmm. There's others. Hmm. But we don't have time to talk about it. You can do that on the movie show. Hey, let's get to our hero story. You're not going to want to miss this one. Uh, he was scared, but when Stephen Williford heard gunshots coming from the First Baptist Church on Sunday morning, the former NRA instructor grabbed his rifle and went to investigate what was going on. In an interview Monday, uh, with uh, Williford said his daughter first told him someone was shooting at the church, then less than a block away from their Sutherland Springs, Texas home. He could hear every shot, very rapid shots, he said, and he knew that every one of those shots represented somebody. That it was aimed at someone, that they weren't just random shots. His daughter said he could she, she could see the shooter wearing black tactical gear. So Williford ran outside, and uh, he actually just ducked behind a truck, and he shot. And he said, I know I hit him, Williford said. He got into his vehicle and fired another couple rounds through his side window. And then when the window dropped, I fired another round at him again. The car sped away, They and eventually he, he was able to flag down another guy in a pickup truck. They chased the guy down, and uh, the, the, the gunman had run off the road. And apparently two of those shots, apparently from Williford, had hit the man, and then the man, uh, the gunman, ended up killing himself. But Williford is the hero of the day. He saved lives. 26 people were uh, shot and killed that day. 20 others were injured. And uh, so if it wasn't for this man, who knows what would have happened with the man, would the gunman have even stopped shooting? Anyway, that is the show, my friends. Can't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. But stick with us because BYU Sports Nation is up next. Next.